Good morning, everyone. We are going to convene as the Marin County Board of Supervisors for our meeting of July 25th, 2023. If our clerk would take the roll and read how to participate remotely. Here. 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 Thank you. We will begin with open time for public expression for items not on the Board of Supervisors agenda. Uh, please come to the podium, give your name, you have two minutes, and then we'll go online. El, uh, sabes que la palabra junta da miedo a personas de América del Sur. Have you heard that the word board scares people coming from the south? Y esa palabra quiere indicar que esos países, esos ciudadanos, perdieron todos sus derechos por el gobierno. And that word means that the citizens coming from those countries lost every, every hope on their government. Pero eso también, esa palabra también existe aquí también en este condado. But that word also exists here in this county. Porque ustedes no quieren ser un condado santuario. Because you don't want to be a sanctuary county. También quieren poner juntas que también van a controlar todo. Because you also want to make boards or meetings that is going to control everything. Uno es la Comisión de Human, Humanos Derechos. One is the Human Rights Commission. Esa organización tiene dos dictadores. That commission has two dictatorships. Que ellos deciden todo. Where they decide everything. No dejan a otras personas hablar. They don't let other people talk. Ellos van a hacer todo y ellos los ponieron allí con uno de ustedes, superiores. Uh, so they do everything. They, they were appointed by, by you. Ese superador, superadora, era... Judy Arnold. And that supervisor was Judy Arnold. Puso dos. Puso Jeremy Porget y Curtis Aikens. Y ellos controlan todo. You who have, appointed you have two, 45 seconds. Who appointed two. Um, Jeremy and Curtis um, were there controlling everything. Y también están en otras cosas, otras organizaciones. 1185 que es la ley del Estado. And that there are also other organizations like the 1185 that controls the state. 
Gracias. So I just want to say that you have uh, um, uh, boards in here. Thank you. Seeing no further comment in the chamber, let's go online. Do we have any speakers? The first speaker is Clayton Smith. Please unmute. In keeping with the Chinese admonition, may you live in interesting times. The House Select Committee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government Against the American People recently held a meeting focused on freedom of speech. Notwithstanding the topic for discussion, many members attempted to censor one of the meeting's prime witnesses. We've clearly entered a paradigm where differences of opinion are not to be tolerated. This was recently on display here in Marin, and the Board of Supervisors declined to reappoint Andrea Montalbano to her previously held position on the Planning Commission. Her offense appears to have been to openly express reservations with the board's behavior when agreeing to the terms of the housing element submitted to the Housing and Community Development Department in Sacramento a month or so ago. This is evidence that the herd mentality demanded to maintain consensus under the blue roof leaves little to no room for differing insights and alternative points of view in public policy. Clearly, we now live in a faux democracy. The voice of the people be damned. All must comply with the agenda descending on us from our controllers above. The deep state elites and money masters whose interests they serve. In a world dominated by consensus, truth is simply the opinion of the powerful. I know that I am not alone in thinking, in this instance, you could have done much better. Thank you. The next speaker is Eva. Please unmute. Um, thank you. I'd like to recognize the comments of Rodrigo Esquerdo uh, regarding the Human Rights Commission. Uh, he has been very devoted to following this commission for years, and I think he has always had hope that it, it would someday deliver. Um, Unfortunately, uh, given the way that the county has uh, composed that, that Human Rights Commission, there's little hope of that. Um, it, is, it is really shocking that you handed something as important as AB 1185 implementation over to the Human Rights Commission and that um, two men, uh, Curtis Aiken, and Jeremy Portiget, uh, both of whom have some pretty severe conflicts of interest when it comes to law enforcement in different ways, um, were allowed to um, nominate people for the very secretive um, and very non-representative Sheriff Civilian Oversight Working Group. Uh, when, you know, when I tried to CPRA the recordings of the meetings, as you know, there were 12. Um, I've said this many times. Uh, I was only given four, and Jamila Jordan, your quote, equity director, informed me that the, the, the other recordings uh, were to be deleted. That was intentional by the county, which is very disturbing. Um, I recently tried to seek PRA the nominations um, that Mr. Fortier and Mr. Um, Akins put forward, and I was told that there's absolutely no uh, records responsive to my request. 
I don't get much time in two minutes. Uh, President of Board of Supervisors has cut down the time from three, but um, there's much more about this topic at MarinCountyConfidential.substack.com. I've done this as a public service because the IJ does not actually report the conflicts of interest, and you saw that very clearly with their last article about Matthew Heimel's uh, plan to, quote, retire. It was Mr. Heimel who put together the Sheriff's Civilian Oversight Working Group uh, for the record. Okay, we're at time. Thank you. There are no additional speakers in the queue. Okay, we'll bring it back now to Board of Supervisors matters and informational updates. And then the County Administrator reports. I'm going to start with Vice President Rodoni. Thank you and good morning. Last Friday uh, morning, Supervisor Sackett and I had the pleasure of attending the College of Marin groundbreaking for their field station in Bolinas, and it was a well-attended event. I might note it's a PLA project where 50% of the labor and subcontractors will be local. So uh, two other notes I wanted to make this morning on the consent calendar. There are two resolutions I just want to mention. Dr. Evan Long uh, retiring from the Marin County, uh, the College School Board, College of Marin uh, Board of Trustees and World Ranger Day, which is uh, something we haven't done before and just want to recognize all the people doing great work in our parks. Thank you, Supervisor Sackett. Thank you. I just quickly want to let you know that on August 3rd, Assemblymember Connolly and I will be um, working with the Alzheimer's Association in hosting a convening here in the chambers um, from 1.30 to 3.30 talking about care and support for folks with Alzheimer's and dementia. If you want any more information, please let me know. Thanks. Thank you, Supervisor Rice. Nothing for me. Okay, Supervisor Lucan. Uh, just a quick public service announcement on Riding Smart. Uh, this morning, if anybody had to come this direction, my GPS told me it was going to take over an hour to go from Roland Boulevard to the Civic Center, um, but it was just 14-minute ride on Smart and a brisk walk to the Civic Center. I made it here on time. So, Ride Smart. Thank you. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, my report. I have uh, three items today. Uh, I would like to introduce uh, our District 3 aide, Tindy Musioki, who's here today. Tindy, raise your hand. Tindy is a 16-year-old Strawberry resident and a rising senior at TAM High. Throughout her time at TAM, she's been actively involved in leadership roles and initiated projects that address social issues that she's interested. Uh, one of her most notable achievements has been founding the club Food for Change, a community-driven initiative dedicated to combating food insecurity in our local issue area. She's organized food drives, established partnerships with local food banks, and has worked to fight hunger. She's part of Tam High's School Link Crews, a group of upperclassmen dedicated to helping ninth graders adjust to high school. She's also passionate about protecting the environment and has interned with the environmental group 350 Marin. Uh, so she, uh, I'll just say, has, she's one of these consummate volunteer leaders who has volunteered for a number of projects and, and really has a lot of interest in social issues. Among them include the Hannah Project Freedom School in Marin City. Uh, and she chose this internship because she believes it's crucial to understand how challenges are addressed in county government. So welcome, Tindy. We're very glad to have you this summer, and I know you're good company with the other interns in our district offices as well. Welcome. 
then I have two adjournments uh, in memory. One uh, is uh, in our county family. This is uh, Jim Parton, the husband of former supervisorial aide Marine Parton. Uh, Jim passed away on June 4th, 2023 at 71 years old. He was born in New York City to James Parton, the founder and publisher of American Heritage Magazine, uh, and grew up on the East Coast until he moved to uh, San Francisco, uh, the West Coast, in the 70s, where he enrolled in USF Law School, graduating in 77, uh, cum laude. Uh, he hired at the firm where he uh, joined a assistant named Maureen Ann Brown, who later became his wife in 1982, and they settled in Mill Valley. Uh, Jim was part of the law firm Parton and Sell in San Rafael, which he started, and uh, was honored uh, for employment law, product liability, and commercial litigation, honored as a super lawyer uh, by the Cal US uh, State Bar. He had a very illustrious career as an attorney. Uh, he was also dedicated to outdoor recreation and the arts. He served on the Mill Valley Parks and Recreation Committee, the Antenna Theater, uh, and also on the board of the West Point Inn atop Mount Tamalpais. Uh, in retirement, Jim pursued the things he loved the best, travel, gardening, hiking, family history, genealogy, and photography. No surprise, Jim loved a good, rousing political discussion uh, with opinions far and wide. Um, there was a marvelous uh, celebration of life for Jim Parton this weekend that uh, Jim and Maureen hosted, and she said she wishes she could be there uh, with us today, but that uh, was a very large undertaking she hosted. She wanted to uh, thank the board for honoring her husband of 38 years. Jim had a special relationship to county government. He was married to it. He was my champion, cheering me on when times were tough and I, and I felt overwhelmed. He was my loyal confidant when I needed independent opinion to help me sort through some of the very vexing challenges of the day. Uh, he was a selfless husband and life partner in every sense of the word and made it possible for me to devote my working life to public service. Uh, Jim uh, leaves behind his uh, son Nate and daughter Jane uh, who are there. Uh, and Maureen uh, is still with us and uh, says she'll continue to be involved in community affairs in the county. So we'll adjourn in Jim Parton's memory and also the memory of Susie, Susan Shea. Susan uh, was an active Southern Marinite. She was born in Burlington, Vermont in 1951 and found her way to San Francisco Bay Area in the 70s like many people. Uh, when she arrived, she worked at the Kentfield Rehab Hospital as a nursing assistant, getting her nursing degree uh, in Marin County at College of Marin, uh, and then worked as a res registered nurse, followed by the USF School of Nursing, where she received her master's in nursing as a nurse practitioner, and went on to begin her career in HIV work in 1989. Uh, presiding over HIV programs at UCSF, as well as the Women's Specialty Clinic that she helped found in 1993. Uh, she was also very involved in our COVID program uh, in Marin City, 
uh, being one of the volunteers, uh, the vaccine buddies down there, and played a real role in getting uh, community throughout Southern Marin to get vaccinated. She, Susan had a wonderful sense of humor, I saw that, uh, and, and was a great outdoors woman as well. She uh, and her partner, Sonia, uh, helped with the Sausalito beautiful mural, uh, All Our Children United, that is now under the Marin City underpass that unites Sausalito and Marin City. So she was really a past passionate booster for all things Sausalito and Marin City. So she will be missed, and I'd like to adjourn in her honor as well. And that's my report, and I'd now like to uh, turn it over to our county administrator, Matthew, for his report. Good morning, supervisors. Uh, no changes to the agenda this morning, um, but as your board knows, last week, uh, after 18 years as your county administrator, I announced I'll retire at the uh, first quarter of 2024. Um, I first came to the county over 21 years ago to work for an organization that really strived for excellence in public service, valued their employees' professionalism and expertise, and I have not been disappointed by my time here. I've thoroughly enjoyed working um, for a county team that continuously strives to make the county better. I've been blessed with great board members, talented department heads, dedicated county staff, and wonderful community partners. We've been through the Great Recession, floods, and COVID-19 emergency, and without fail, the county team has always stepped up, and I will always appreciate the work we've done together. I'm confident that the county team will keep us moving on a path of continuous improvement. I want to say a special thanks to your board for all your support and guidance. I know there's still a lot of work to do and a lot of time before this happens, um, so I'm committed to make sure it's a smooth transition and that we continue to make progress on your top priorities. Thank you again, and it's been the privilege of my career to work for your board and the county. Thank you, Matthew. We couldn't do what we do without you. Okay, with that, uh, if there's no further report, Matthew, then we'll go to public comment now on these reports. Uh, is there anyone in the chambers? I'm not seeing anyone. Okay, Rodrigo. You know, I thought we were going to have open time on um, when you guys gave your individual reports. You're welcome to speak about those now. Okay. Um, so, Supervisor Rodoni, Supervisor Satchett, tell me something. If you went to a function like a, this ground opening thing that you went to and nobody was there, would you think that's a success? Would you think that something is missing, that you did something wrong, that no one attended? Well, you know what? You would have to improve and find out what it is that's missing so the next time you could get people involved. That's the problem with the Human Rights Commission, Mr. Uh, Supervisor Rodoni, that you know that when you go to a, to a function, people attend. But when the Human Rights Commission, they put on a, a function or a meeting, no one attends. No one from the Canal attends. No one from Marin City attends. Why? They don't care. They're only there because they, for the titles of they are Human Rights Commissioners. They're there to make sure that everything stays status quo, unaccomplished, 
to make sure that Latinos, you know, don't have a voice, that the uh, blacks of Maroon City don't have a voice. So you put in these two individuals from Novato who on one of their sessions brought a mob and attacked Eva. Attacked her. And you guys did not remove that chair? That was his wife. You did not remove him? They break the law, the, you know, the Brown Act? They blatantly break it, and you still don't do anything. What does it take for you to actually get people to behave? Speakers online? Oh, the first sorry. speaker is Dean Smith. Please come here. I have to uh, comment on Supervisors Luke and tale of avoiding the traffic jam on Highway 101. It points out with many of us who oppose the smart train, um, some of our reasons for doing so. Most importantly, the fact that the funding used to build SMART was not available for Highway 101 improvements, and in particular, its long-needed widening, which is now only, only, only after many, 20, 30 years, finally uh, reaching some state of completion. Uh, we uh, who have uh, the need to use our cars to get around, we have had to wait because of the money that was spent on SMART for all these years in order to get what we needed, which are the vast majority, 99% of the people who live here, work here, to get the improvements in Highway 101 actually finally done. That's what we're seeing in that traffic jam, I'm pretty sure, is the consequences of this misuse of public funds. And I also, in a kind of more humorous fashion, thinking of your brisk walk up to the Civic Center, I wonder how much more brisk it would be if it was in the middle of the winter and um, we were experiencing one of our recent rain bombs. Uh, you'd be uh, coming on up to the Civic Center uh, and uh, having to have a change of clothes at a minimum. And that would beg the question of uh, what condition you would be in when you got back on the train and made it back to whatever parking lot uh, your car happened to be in. Thank you. The next speaker is Eva, please unmute. Eva, please. Thank you. I'd like to second uh, Mr. Izquierdo's comments and concerns about the Human Rights Commission. I think what's particularly troubling is um, the lack of transparency uh, regarding the appointments and now that group, the Human Rights Commission, in particular, its chair and its vice chair, have been handed even more power. Uh, they were already granted inordinate, um, unmonitored power to make appointments um, to the Sheriff Civilian Oversight Working Group, but we were not allowed to see who their appointments, who their nominations were. Um, these were submitted apparently to the county administrator, um, and. When I CPRA that, as I, as I pointed out, I was told that there were no records responsive to that request. Uh, I, it's, it's a level of secrecy uh, surrounding this oversight 
process that is deeply disturbing, but it's also concerning that you didn't explain any of the conflicts of interest or even, you know, just make them public as this was ongoing. I've, I've talked about, you know, the conflicts within Sheriff Civilian Oversight Working Group, like Heidi Merchant uh, being apparently uh, the wife or sibling of the Sonoma Assistant Sheriff who runs the deadly Sonoma County Jail. Um, I've talked about Charlie Trezzo getting a $3.4 million contract, two-year contract with the county for his nonprofit just approximately five hours before you accepted the working group proposals. He served on that working group. Um, you know, you never uh, let us know that Curtis Akins has a son. He, he was, he's not only the vice chair, um, he was, and, and Judy Arno probably picked him for this reason, but he has a son who's a police officer who's now a sheriff in, in the sheriff's department in San Francisco. This needed to be disclosed, it, along with the other conflicts of interest that you also Thank didn't you, disclose. Thank you, word time. President Mullen Peters, I don't know that two speakers in the queue. Okay, we'll bring it back to the chambers. Raleigh. Raleigh Katzmer, Association of Public Employees. Um, I'm sure there will be an opportunity in eight or nine months to have a more uh, formal recognition of Mr. Heimel, but I did want to just take a moment to recognize his distinguished career of public service. Thank you. All right, we'll close comment on this item now and, pardon? Nine months. Nine months, okay. Uh, we're moving now to item number three, the consent calendar. Uh, is there anyone who wishes to pull an item on the dais or in the chambers? Okay, I'm not seeing anyone. I'll entertain a motion and a second. I'll Eight. move consent A. Second. Okay, thank you. We'll take public comment on consent calendar A. No one in the chambers, anyone online? Yes, the first speaker is Eva, please unmute. All right, comments on um, consent I believe, A. Yes, I believe that uh, consent A includes the sheriff item, uh, the additional monies to the sheriff, am I correct? President? I'm going to ask our county administrator to clarify that. Uh, what's your comment? So consent calendar A includes two sheriff items. The first is uh, authorizing uh, a single source agreement with Sitecore uh, for $245,000. And the other is uh, annual software support um, for $295,000 for TriTech software systems. Both of these are within their existing budget. Thank you. Thank you. I'd like to point out um, how little transparency there was with regard to the sheriff budget in the sheriff oversight working uh, group process. Um, it, it was stunning that just, just a week after you accepted the incredibly weak proposals of the conflict of interest laden sheriff civilian oversight working group, Eva, could you could you please no, no, comment I, on no, the no, consent I calendar? On it, and if you would stop interrupting me, I would get to that point. You need okay, to let let's, people speak. Let's have it. You then. are violating the Brown Act. You are violating, and I am reclaiming my time. So the they received the sheriff department receives an additional two point eight six million dollars over their their budget of the prior year, just a week after you received those those weak proposals from the working group. And why that's particularly concerning is that not a single one of the working group members showed up for 
for that budget hearing wherein the sheriff was given these additional monies. And I'm going to reclaim my time because you interrupted me, Stephanie, but I'm going to point out that very much we're seeing these sheriff civilian oversight processes used as cover to funnel additional money to the sheriff. It's very clear that that's what happened here. And the fact that none of these people had any protest about it. And further, I'd like to point out that if you review the few videos that were made available by the county regarding its secret civilian oversight working group meetings, what you see is a complete absence of any discussion of the sheriff budget and what role it plays in giving the sheriff, you know, carte blanche to do whatever he wants to do. Right. We had a motion by Lucan, a second by Sackett. All in favor of adopting consent A? Aye. Okay, we'll move now to consent B. I'll move consent B. Second. Any public comment on consent B? Okay, thank you. Motion by Rice, second by Lucan. All in favor? Aye. Okay, now moving on to item number five. Information Services Technology presenting an innovation team challenge update. Welcome. Good morning, Supervisors. Liza Massey, Chief Information Officer and Department Head for IST. I'm so happy to be here today to talk about the Innovation Team Challenge. This was a project that turned into a program out of the two-year action plan innovation and change focus area. We, as a reminder, we did an update in the fall and announced the winners of the county's very first Innovation Team Challenge. And they are here with us today to talk about the results of their pilot projects. Next slide. Just as a quick reminder, the program was created to look for team-based innovation proposals from across departments and across the county. We received over a dozen proposals, and I will point out, I saw Dr. Benita here, and her department had the most proposals and the two winning proposals. And so that's congratulations to them. And we were looking for proposals that really supported our residents through either direct resident services or improving the operations of the county. And as I mentioned, we have two winning proposals, and I'm looking around to see if Chloe is here. So Chloe King is here from HHS. If you'll go to the next slide, she's going to provide, come on, she's going to provide a quick update of what her team did with uh, their funding and time they received for their winning proposal. Chloe. Thank you so much. Uh, I really want to point out that this kind of opportunity for stat line staff working with community is really important. It allowed us to really push forward the needs of West Marin and the sort of disconnection that, re that 
really affects individuals' access to health and human services, but also many services across the county. So our partnership with our nonprofit uh, community members and uh, organizations has really allowed us to create robust access across the really the coastal corridor pri primarily. And uh, it's a, the device that we bought uh, with this winning um, innovation grant is going to last into the future. This is not a one-off or two-year project. This is going to continue to support our pop-ups and HHS outreach, as well as our connection to Alert Marin and other really important connectivity for our residents in the coastal corridor. We've tested it up and down the um, the length and, and width and breadth of West Marin and have found incredible you know, connectivity. So it's a booster that allows 125 users to connect to the internet through Verizon. It's a, you know, sort of a technology that's based on the cell phone towers, but that has been really way more exciting than I thought it would be in my proposal. So thank you so much, and I look forward to using this device and sharing with Dennis Rudoni about the different uh, benefits it'll bring into the future. Thank you. Thank you, Chloe, and thank you to you and your team who uh, made that proposal. And now I'll turn to Helia Hanna, who um, had a, has a very newsworthy uh, pilot project that she conducted. You probably have already heard about it. Um, hi, I also wanted to start um, by thanking the board and um, IST and also the entire Innovation Grant Committee for this opportunity. I think. Um, we wouldn't have had the opportunity to try out uh, this technology in this way or even to design the pilot having community interviews without this type of innovation grant funding. Um, and as Liza mentioned, we've had media interest in this, so we've had the opportunity to kind of be part of national conversations about using wastewater surveillance for overdose prevention. So, um, yeah, thank you all. I think without this type of funding, we wouldn't have had the opportunity to be in those conversations. Uh, we've also had the chance to share some of what we've learned with um, other counties regionally and in California and even internationally, or, or not internationally, nationally, <laughs> um, to talk about this type of surveillance. Um, some highlights are that we were able to successfully implement high-risk substance surveillance um, integrated into our COVID surveillance, and we've been collecting data now for a little over six months. Um, one thing that we learned very early on uh, is that we were able to add to our panel testing for xylazine, which is a new drug that's infecting or affecting the illegal drug supply and is increasing people's risk for overdose and other health conditions. And we were able to confirm that it was in Marin through this pilot and release a um, public health advisory so we could um, provide risk communication to the community. Um, also, we have some follow-up steps uh, in place. We, we did conduct uh, 16 interviews with community members to ask about this type of surveillance and how it could be used for overdose prevention and are now planning a uh, focus group interview with our community members who predominantly speak Spanish. Um, so we'll be able to kind of finalize and package those results and describe how they compare um, or how we want to think about our program moving forward. And then through this kind of uh, cross-departmental collaboration, we were also able to secure funding to continue the program um, for another six months. So yeah, thank you again for this great framework, uh, and we really appreciate the funding to um, explore this innovation. 
Thank you. So you can see these two um, pilot projects through the first Innovation Tech Challenge were um, very uh, important and also had such a big impact to our residents. Um, if you had to guess the amount of investment, I don't know what you would go with, but it was just under $20,000. And so we do have a fund. Thank you for approving that. And we will continue this challenge um, into the future. I believe we'll be able to go seven, several years. Um, the point of a, doing a pilot project is really to invest in experimentation that our goal is to have it be able to be sustainable or even expandable. And so you can see both of these um, winning teams were able to do that. Uh, in terms of the next steps, I mentioned we're going to continue. Um, in the spirit of continuous improvement, we are reviewing the program. We are making a few updates to it, but the good news is we aren't making um, uh, very large changes. We will um, conduct another challenge later this summer, announce winners by the end of the year, so I hope to be able to come to you and update you on our winners. They'll conduct their pilot project from January through June. They are required to collect data and provide a final report. Um, I'm happy to report they all did uh, manage to do their pilots within the budget that they um, asked for and were given. And then I'll be back this time next year to bring a winning team or a couple winning teams to also update you again on the very um, great results that we have from this program. Any questions? Great report. Yeah. Any questions from board? Please, Katie. Uh, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming back and, and talking about these two projects. And I'm, I'm thinking a couple things. I'm guessing there was many, many, multiple applications and you had to make choices. Um, and hopefully folks will potentially resubmit. And not every pilot is gonna probably, that even gets awarded is gonna be maybe as successful as these has been. But that doesn't mean it's not worth trying stuff. But my question is, um, you know, a pilot Im implies that if you uh, find success, that you do find a way to, uh, and it makes sense to build something ongoing as a program that we do so. So I'm just curious as to, to what at what, where's the, the timeline or the milestone or the metric that makes that happen? And I'm, I'm really, I'm, I think it's uh, the mobile HHS and um, that pop-up or that, that pilot uh, with the, the digital, I guess that was the innovation part, was having that aspect. Um, I would be curious to know how, what, what is the forecast for how, how we use that technology and frankly that pop-up program going forward. Um, it was one of the things that we learned about COVID is bringing, bringing the service and bringing the opportunity to, to the client versus having folks come to us. But do you, could you talk more about that? Yeah, Chloe, if you'd come up, I'll answer the how do you continue what we um, intended in the, in the pilot projects. You're exactly right. If it doesn't work out, we will always learn mm -hmm. from those experiences. So I appreciate that recognition. Secondly, you'll see that um, the pop-up project is able to continue. And then I'm working with Supervisor Radoni. Our goal is to get broadband out in West Marin. So we do have a longer-term vision. And then with the other project, Testing Wastewater, um, congratulations, they will, were able to secure a grant. The thought was there are a couple avenues. One, if it's pure technology, we do have an IT governance process where you all approved a technology fund, very much larger for projects. And so we would help them apply and be part of that prioritization to do a full-blown project should that occur. Um, the other options, as you, as you may know, are, are grants and other funding. And it may be that a department comes back to you with a budget proposal. 
Professor Thank Chloe. You. Yeah, go ahead, Chloe. So for sustainability with our pop-ups, that is the plan in West Marin. We have five more pop-ups scheduled through the fall to not only collaborate with vaccinations, but also with school readiness and uh, health. We have uh, partnered not only with our medical providers in West Marin, but all of the nonprofits up and down the coastal corridor to go into each of our distant, like Tamales, Muir Beach, Bellinas and Stinson to provide the pop-ups that bring the care to the clients, bring the information and help them access. They can do their HA, their uh, Medi-Cal and CalFresh redeterminations right there at our table. My staff from the West Marin Service Center bring their laptops. We have stations set up. We have Clean Slate joining us quite frequently for our pop-ups. And also, you know, I go with the device to the Western Weekend, to uh, the Tamales Founders Day. So this does not only support HHS, but it supports the community and every single access point that requires digital connection. This is the device that's going to bridge us between broadband in West Marin and the services that are needed today. It's a great tool and it's going to continue in and be an integral part of our programming. Excellent. Perfect. Thank, Thank you. you so much. I want to add my compliments for this program. I just love it. And I love that you incentivize innovation. And I know various departments do it in different ways, uh, but I like the way you're doing it uh, today. I, I Just listening to Chloe's comment about um, bringing the uh, services out to West Marin, I, I just noted, uh, Liza, that we have uh, internet uh, challenges and Wi-Fi challenges in Marin City and we have a van out there through HHS and so I'm wondering is there a possibility of expanding these kinds of services with the device to Marin City uh, I'll have to look into the, the specific with the device but Marin City is one of the areas that we, we recently received grant funding for to evaluate and improve their internet service bringing broadband to that community yes. but I definitely will take this as a a takeaway. We have done some work there, but certainly yeah. we can look at it. Thank you. Uh, for the interim. Yeah, that would be great. There's an initiative in Southern Marin to uh, provide greater uh, internet and, and um, cell reception capabilities to all the jurisdictions. But I think as an interim a solution, this would be great. So thank you. Uh, we look forward to seeing what the next projects will be the coming year. So great. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we'll see if there's any public comment on this item. Not seeing anyone in the chambers, uh, except for our staff. Good morning. Uh, anyone online? Yes, the first speaker is Eva. Please unmute. Yeah, thank you. Um, I, you know, want to applaud the efforts to expand um, services, but I do have to tell you that I have been looking into um, and speaking with uh, people who work in substance uh, use recovery, addiction recovery, however you want to say it, um, and also public health officials around the country. And the wastewater drug testing is probably the, I don't know how to say this politely, it's, it's really got to be one of the dumbest um, wastes of money you could possibly engage in. I mean, you're, you're testing wastewater for illicit substances, uh, which may not even have been uh, excreted into uh, the wastewater by residents of the county. They may be, you know, uh, people who came in 
um, for a weekend. You know, tech entrepreneurs who are high as a kite, and we certainly saw that, unfortunately, uh, in the unfortunate killing of Bob Lee, um, a former Mill Valley resident who was killed in San Francisco earlier this year, there's a lot of recreational drug use amongst um, the, the wealthy elites um, who live in and around this county and come in to visit this county. Um, now you're going to spend money that should uh, be spent, grant money that should be spent actually providing actual services uh, to the poor and, you know, for those of the poor who do have substance use disorder or any, anything like that, um, they could use real services. And what is the purpose? This is what I've had experts ask me over and over again. What is the purpose, the actual value of testing the wastewater? And it turns out to be uh, very deceptive. Uh, there are a lot of claims about what it actually achieves, but what it actually seems to achieve is uh, a very effective waste of money. So I, I you know, you should thank really you look for into this time. more. The next speaker is Damien. Please unmute. Good morning. Um, regarding broadband in Marin City, going back to uh, 2019, 2020, you guys had efforts regarding broadening and improving broadband. Uh, I remember being on many school district board meetings and your board meetings, BLS, and you had school board officials saying things have changed and we now have broadband. And I remember calling in, you know, a couple of years ago asking where, how has it improved or where has it improved? And uh, I think Mr. Matthew Heimel can answer these questions because he was a part of the, the, the school officials and, and improving the broadband at the Rocky Graham Park and, and at, at the mall. and. Uh, it seems to be. It seems that nothing has changed. So, uh, the initiative in 1920, 21, and, and now here are with, I guess a different initiative to improve broad, broadband. It seems to be an impossible task. Why is it so hard to improve broadband in Marin City? Because I'm hearing you guys say that. Well, we're working on it. What for three, four, five years? Or what, why is it so difficult? Why is Marin City always so difficult to improve? Hoover Park. So my question is, Mr. Matthew Heimel, the efforts in 1920, 2019-20, and the efforts you have now, what's the difference? Is there a different pot of money or, or a group doing this? Uh, what, and you guys are, keep saying you're improving the pot. What, what's so difficult about it? Why is Marin City, why is Marin City so impossible to improve upon broadband services? So, uh, Mr. Heimel, will you explain the difference of 2019 and 2020, what these different initiatives are, and will it be ever approved upon? Thank you. Im improved upon. Thank you. There are no additional speakers in the queue. Thank you. Uh, if you'd like to respond, that would be fine. Yes, thank you for the opportunity. Uh, Matthew has asked me to respond <clears throat> because the, the initial efforts in 20 and 21 were a community effort to create a broadband strategic plan that became known as Digital Marin. Your board and five other cities and towns adopted that plan. And what it has allowed us to do, it was a strategic plan, what it has allowed us to do is uh, obtain nearly $1 million from Marin County in funding. We also uh, were able to um, get a um, commitment from the state of California to build over $30 million worth of broadband in Marin County. Um, we got more broadband than they originally 
um, proposed um, and other counties around here are, are getting less. And so I feel that that initiative that was community-wide, every sector has helped us secure those two things. Um, I agree with the speaker, it does take time. And the first, um, the first thing we need to do to improve um, and get to broadband speeds is to build infrastructure where we do not have it. And that is what the grant is helping us do, get shovel-ready plans to build um, or build out broadband in Marin City, in the Canal neighborhood, and some unincorporated areas throughout Marin, and also West Marin, where there's not even a backbone, the broadband infrastructure to put it in. And so, yes, it, it is moving more slowly than I hope, but we are reliant on state and federal grants and programs that come through them. So there has been progress, but it is obviously not fast enough. With Marin City in particular, we have partnered with community members to put in free public Wi-Fi in some of those places. While it is not broadband speeds, it is um, a, a good option. We also have worked to bring in um, subsidies through the American Connectivity Program um, where people can really get very reduced rates. They already, we work with Comcast to get at their reduced rate of $9.99 a month, be able to have higher speeds that they implemented during COVID and they've left them. And so there have been improvements, but I agree. Um, we're not where we wanna be, but in the next several years, we should see, um, we should see improvements. Uh, a follow-up question, Liza, if I might. Uh, Broadband is obviously an important topic and there's a lot of interest and it does take time, but is there a, a broadband page on your department website or anywhere that community members might go who want to follow these issues and understand more about your initiatives? Yes, there is. Um, because this is a community-wide effort, it's actually at godigitalmarin.org. Um, it can be accessed from the county website. Um, it does have an option to subscribe and you will get newsletter updates about what is going on. Um, if you subscribe, you also can uh, send email to us and you can become part of our stakeholder group. I will say that um, we have done a lot of this with volunteers on a shoestring budget. So I actually have an intern um, who is free to the county updating the website because it is, um, it's difficult to do that and these other efforts at the same time. Thank you. Liza, yes, additional comments, please. Oh, yes, uh, I was gonna respond to the first question regarding wastewater. Um, we are unfortunately in public health surveillance. A lot of our systems rely on clinical um, people actually seeking uh, services at a clinic. Um, and that means we don't necessarily have visibility on what's happening in the population of people who might be uh, you know, fearful of accessing the clinic or might not have access to insurance to go to a clinic. Um, so with that in mind, during COVID-19, we found that wastewater was one of the easiest and best ways for us to know how COVID was spreading in our community because it's um, not biased by our clinical system and testing, and it gives us earlier visibility before we have to wait for test results to come in to know if there's something changing in our community. So thinking about substance use, um, one of the common causes of overdoses now in this phase of the um, epidemic is that people, our illegal drug supply might be contaminated with something that people are not intending to use, um, meaning that their risk of overdose is very high. And we won't know that information until we see it in an overdose death currently, um, or after an overdose has already occurred. 
So our hope with this type of wastewater surveillance is to kind of get ahead of these things before we have to see them in a death so that we can actually tailor our overdose prevention strategies. Um, the last thing I wanted to mention is that we did have in some of our community members some uh, or in some of our community interviews, uh, some of the community members who use drugs noted that they felt it would actually reduce stigma if we did have this type of wastewater program at all sites throughout Marin, uh, because they would be able, people would be able to kind of um, see that drug use is happening everywhere and not the places where people just assume it might be happening or where they might be seeing it in public, um, for example. So just to follow up a little bit, so when you detect uh, the presence of uh, substances in wastewater, then the connection back to the community is you can do more outreach and aware education on those drugs, the substances to the larger community. You can't do anything individually, but is that is that the connection and how it works? Yeah, exactly. That's kind of what we're, we're thinking. And another reason we're thinking of it as a pilot even for the next six months is because we want to figure out that piece. Um, you know, what is the risk communication and is it um, efficient and does it make sense? Um, so yeah, the xylazine I think is a great example. We didn't know it was in our community. San Francisco had heard that xylazine was in their illegal drug supply through overdose deaths. Um, so we were able with our wastewater to see it and alert the community that it was here um, through a public health advisory before we saw it in an overdose death. Um, and we actually haven't seen xylazine in our community since May 1st which is also information from wastewater that we wouldn't have had otherwise to um, help our community know when their risk might be higher. Yeah, great. Is fentanyl detectable in wastewater? Yes, yeah, and we are seeing, um, that's kind of another thing wastewater is revealing, I think is the burden of the problem. Um, so we're seeing consistently high levels of fentanyl um, throughout the entire pilot. There's really never been a time where it was low, and I think that also speaks to our um, overdose risk and how we can kind of tailor, try to tailor prevention messaging. Right. So for new things on the front end, this is a tool for us to get ahead proactively. Yeah, yeah exactly. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much, both of you. Next is item number six. Uh, and I am going to let the team present this item. Good morning, Supervisors. Uh, my name is Todd Shermer. I'm the Director of Behavioral Health and Recovery Services, which is a division of the Health and Human Services Department. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, so I'm here to talk about um, the state's historic investment in behavioral health infrastructure. In 2021, the state announced a $2.2 billion of investment as part of the Behavioral Health Community Infrastructure Program. Um, I'll call that BCHIP for short. Uh, Marin County was an awardee of two of the previous rounds. Uh, for context, that was uh, $4 million to fund our mobile crisis infrastructure, and then $150,000 uh, as a planning grant for the current project. Uh, we were recently an, uh, awarded a conditional award of $7.9 million to expand the behavioral health uh, crisis continuum. So I'm here before you today to request two things. Uh, one is to adopt a resolution authorizing us to complete the application process and if awarded to accept the grant funding, and second, to authorize the Health and Human Services Director to execute the grant documents. Uh, next slide, please. 
Uh, so the proposed project will expand the behavioral health crisis continuum for adults who are Medi-Cal beneficiaries who have complex co-occurring mental health and substance use disorders. Uh, so we're looking at a, uh, a county-owned building at 30 Joseph Court in San Rafael. That's a former fire station. And this is an adaptive reuse project to convert it into a 15-bed licensed and drug Medi-Cal certified substance use treatment program. This is planned to be a short-term residential treatment program uh, for people who need uh, services ranging from 30 to 90 days. Next slide, please. Um, in Marin County, behavioral health issues continue to be among the leading challenges for our residents. Um, as you see there on the um, graph on the side, um, overdose deaths are uh, significant in our county and are the leading cause of accidental death here in Marin County. Uh, nearly half of people who receive substance use disorder services through the county also have a co-occurring serious mental illness. So the proposed facility and programming type do not currently exist in this county. For people who do need this type of short-term residential treatment, uh, they often have to go to facilities uh, far away, many hours away in other counties. Next slide, please. So this project will reduce the strain on our existing crisis system and decrease barriers in access to care due to proximity, waitlist, or acuity. Uh, we think it's important to have people receiving treatment close to home where they can receive services uh, in their home community and uh, connect with their family, friends, and other supporters. Uh, this addresses urgent gaps and provide access to levels of care that do not currently exist and advance racial equity to meet the needs of vulnerable populations with the greatest barriers to access including people who are experiencing homelessness and have criminal justice involvement. Um, nearly 70% of people who receive substance use disorder services through the county are experiencing homelessness at the time they enter services. So this is an opportunity for us to provide local treatment um, and help uh, connect people to care and ongoing services, including housing. Uh, this will leverage Medi-Cal uh, investments to support ongoing sustainability. So this grant is $7.9 million to support the rehabilitation and remodel of that fire station at 30 Joseph Court. Ongoing services will be covered uh, by Medi-Cal revenue, um, substance use block grant, and other sources of funding. We expect no net increase in county costs by operating this facility. Uh, further, it will improve outcomes and support beneficiaries in achieving their recovery goals. Uh, including reducing substance use, improving their mental health, reducing criminal justice involvement, and attaining uh, um, stable housing and employment. Next slide, please. All right, going forward, um, if your board does approve it, we will continue the contracting process with the state um, and their agent, which is called uh, AHP, um, to execute the program funding agreement and accept the grant funding. Uh, this is the first of a few times that we'll be in front of you regarding this grant. Um, we'll then come back to request acceptance and budgeting of the grant funding, and then to request approval of a contract with Buckaloo Programs. As part of our application to the state, we did complete a competitive request for proposal process, and uh, we, we chose to award that to Buckaloo Programs. They have, they're a well-established nonprofit agency in the community with experience operating this type of facility. Um, and they will um, not just operate it, but they will oversee the construction and partner with the county to ensure the project meets its goals. Um, we will also do ongoing stakeholder outreach and engagement. Um, so the county will work with Supervisor Sackett's office, the city of San Rafael, as well as Buckaloo to engage the community and ensure that um, the community members' questions are answered. 
Uh, we expect construction to begin uh, next February. Uh, it should take a little over a year, and the building should be completed in March of 2025, and then services would, would uh, initiate shortly thereafter. All right, I think that's all I have. Uh, happy to answer any questions. Great. Thank you. Todd, questions? You guys, yes? Anything? Yes? No? Okay. More comments than questions, I want to yeah, wanna wait. Yes, please. Uh, Todd, thank you so much. Um, you did you did I hear you say that uh, Buckaloo would be then handling also the construction element of this, the project management? That's correct. They'll do all all parts of it. They'll oversee the construction, hire a contractor, and then once it's finished, they'll do the operation of the facility. And I, I'm very I'm familiar with Buckaloo, and especially in terms of the operations. Um, but I'm just curious around the construction piece. Is that something that they have um, Buckaloo's been involved in before? Do they have other projects that they have overseen construction? So uh, yes, Supervisor, this is uh, consistent with the way we did our detox facility that's near uh, McGinnis, um, and so we worked uh, collaboratively with them. And I think it ensures that they have a facility that meets their ongoing needs as we contract with them going forward. Great, thank you. I have just a quick follow-up question, Todd, and it's just to underscore something you said, that this new facility will allow us to offer services we currently are not able to offer to the community. Is that correct? And maybe you could just restate that again. Sure, that's correct. So this is a short-term residential treatment program for people who have co-occurring mental health and substance use services. So for people who need that type of treatment right now, uh, we do have other programs, but they're out of county, in some cases many hours away. So this is an opportunity for those services to be provided here in Marin where people can remain connected to their family and support networks. Thank you for that. Okay, we'll go to public comment now. I'm not seeing anyone in the chambers. Uh, let's go online. President Mon Peters, uh, we do have one speaker. Uh, Eva, please unmute. Um, thank you. I appreciate the effort um, toward toward uh, building more facilities or maintaining what you already have. But in a lengthy conversation I had with Matt Willis a couple months ago, um, it was made very clear to me that he had was completely dismissing um, the deaths that are occurring in rehab centers, and uh, he had not he had not um, actually compiled any list of that. I asked him specifically um, what the number was, you know, on an annual basis. And he said, it's negligible. And I said, well, the, what, is, what is a negligible number to you? Tell me what the number was. And he said he didn't have it. And I, I had to ask myself, how does he know it's negligible if he doesn't know what the number is? Um, but it is, you know, we've seen a lot of um, lawsuits against various uh, rehab organizations. And those are the people, those are the families that could, you know, summon uh, the resources to obtain a lawyer um, for a lot of poor people who are forced into these carceral systems that are wildly ineffective, by the way. Um, they, they don't have any recourse. I do want to point out that um, the black US Marine Corps veteran uh, who you put into that horrible SSA that landed him in the ICU and then you thrust him back into the SSA under the freeway in San Rafael. 
And then you, instead of getting him housing, because you had nowhere else to put him, you threw him into a rehab center where he nearly got killed. And he fled that place because it was so dangerous for him to be there. Um, so, uh, you know, I think that this is part of a longer pattern of your highly paid employees coming before you and telling you that, look, we're doing all this great stuff, but but there's no, there's nothing to back it up. There's, there's very little time on these processes. Is there any other comment? President Mon Peters, there are no additional speakers in the queue. Okay, thank you. We'll bring it back and we'll start with Supervisor Sackett with comments. Thank you. Um, and thank you, Todd, for educating me on this project over the last um, week to understand all the nuances. I am excited that this is filling a gap in our service continuum um, that we didn't already have. I think the more that I understand about people experiencing homelessness is the variety of services that individuals need. Um, and so I'm really excited that we will have, you know, this niche locally in our community. Um, and I really appreciate the partnership as far as how we're going to communicate with our community and um, working with our city and, you know, the businesses and so forth in that area so that they're aware and we are ahead of um, the communication and just how the how the facility will be run um, and making sure that, you know, that, that those immediate neighbors on Joseph Court um, aren't severely impacted. And I, I, it sounds to me as though we have laid the groundwork for that to be very successful. So... I appreciate that, and I um, am happy to adopt to move that we adopt the resolution and accept the grant. Great. I'll second that and just congratulate you, Todd, on this great project. You know, the foresight to purchase this building from the city, keep it in public hands, making sure that we had opportunities like this was just the right thing to do. And you know, congratulate you going after the grant and getting this in place. So thank you so much, and I think uh, looking forward to the place being open in a year or so thanks and I would add my add my kudos more work to be done but it's just really great to see us continue to make progress however slowly it is in filling out that continuum of care and also the evolution in terms of the funding that's available to recognize co-occurring right and um, and the need to address um, co-occurring um, situations uh, under one roof and uh, through through one provider. And my thanks to Buckaloo for continuing to be such a great partner. Ditto. Uh, and with that, we have a motion by Sackett, a second by Rodoni, to adopt the uh, resolution uh, and uh, authorize um, the staff to go forward with acquiring the grant. Uh, all in favor? Aye. Aye. Okay, thank you. Congratulations. Next up is a request from the Community Development Agency to approve an agreement with Panorama Environmental for the internet initial study environmental assessment for the Point Reyes Coast Guard Affordable Housing Project and grant housing funds to cover the cost of the contract. Good morning, Lily. Good morning, board members. Lily Thomas with the Community Development Agency. And the item before you is a contract to conduct environmental review for our property at the Coast Guard facility in Point Reyes, which is future affordable housing um, project sponsored by Eden Housing and Claim, and a request to fund that using housing trust funds in the amount of 
$226,953. And I'm happy to answer any questions. This is consistent with past practice where we have paid for environmental review uh, using housing trust funds. And I'm happy to answer any questions about it. And I'm also joined by Tammy Taylor if there's questions about the environmental review portion of the. Uh, thank you, Lily. Really appreciate seeing this come before the board. Um, the question here is always how long? How long are we thinking this timeline that this environmental review might take? Um, yeah, so thank while you, Tammy gets up here, I, I think one thing is that there's a little uncertainty because you don't know everything that you're going to find when you start on the process, but I'll let Tammy answer the specific. Yes, hi, good morning, supervisors. Yes, uh, we are gonna be starting the environmental review um, now that the, con well, once the contract's approved. And uh, there'll generally be a kickoff, and then from there it'll go probably a couple months to do some analysis. So the timeline, basically, it, it varies depending on the complexities that come up uh, through the environmental review process. But um, yeah, and for an initial study, environmental assessment, because it's a joint document, I anticipate it may take a little extra time just because um, the two uh, different types of laws that we're talking about that are informing the process do have different complications and different information that they're looking at, even though there is a lot of overlap. So um, somewhere between a few months uh, to a year, it's just hard to say at the moment. But um, I know we have housing trust fund deadlines as well. Um, I don't know, Lily, if you want to speak to that a little bit. There isn't specific deadlines associated with that because okay. it's local housing trust. But as Tammy has mentioned, we're doing both the initial study for the CEQA review, but we're also doing the um, NEPA review so that we can use federal dollars, including home, CDBG, and possibly vouchers in the future. So both of we're doing both of those types of review. Great, thank you. And maybe for the public and the board, I believe they have a complete application now that they've submitted. Correct, for the coastal permit, you mean? Yes. And a quick follow-up reminder, how many units will we generate? That's um, there's, they're proposing 54, so it's the existing units, and then renovation of the um, barracks building to provide some additional housing. Oh, that's great, great. I'm not seeing any other questions from the board, so we'll go to public comment. I'm not seeing anyone in the chambers. Is there anyone online? Representative Peters, there are no speakers in the queue. We will bring this back. I'll move this item, execute the agreement, and approve the award of housing trust funds. Second. Thank you. Uh, motion Rodoni, second. Rice, all in favor? Aye. Aye. Great. That is Thank approved. You. Thank you. Thank you. Next item number eight is a request from Parks to accept a report on updates to the Measure A Natural Lands Preservation and Parks Access Grant Program. Good morning. Good morning, Max Supervisors. Max Corton, Director of Marin County Parks. And uh, I'm going to turn it over to Craig Richardson, one of our senior planners. Um, but before doing that, I just want to um, appreciate Craig's work on this. Uh, this is uh, an informational update about our uh, land and park acquisition program that's funded by Measure A. And, um, you know, in the first 2012 version of the measure, we were able to provide some grants to uh, other uh, cities, towns, or, or nonprofits. And uh, with the new measure, there were some changes, and so we wanted to update your board on those changes and how the team is implementing them. Great. 
Thanks, Max. Um, good morning, supervisors. Craig Richardson. I'm a senior planner with Marin County Parks, and I'm excited to be here this morning to share with you the updates we've made to the, the Natural Lands Preservation and Park Access Grant Program. I know you've got a packed agenda, so I'm going to try to be efficient. Um, I'm going to start by uh, telling you what the program is and what we set out to accomplish with it. Then we'll take a quick look back at what we've been able to accomplish under Measure A 1.0, as Max mentioned. Uh, Measure A was passed by the voters in 2012. Um, that initiated this grant program. When it was renewed in 2022, there were some slight changes made to the ordinance that affected this program. So we'll talk about those, and then we'll look at how that affected uh, the updates to the program. So with that, I will jump right in. And next slide, please. Okay, so what is it? Uh, as we said, it's Measure A grant program, and it's really it's an acquisition grant program. So we are um, setting out to provide qualifying organizations with uh, matching grant money to permanently protect natural lands and improve park access. And so we're really looking at two kind of classes of acquisition. There's the open space, open space acquisition, where we're looking at natural resource preservation, and then there's uh, park-type acquisitions, and that's going to cover lands that would be home to things like ball fields and playgrounds. Um, so that's what the program is, and we'll go to the next slide. All right, so what have we been able to accomplish? Um, so with Measure A 1.0 in 2015, we awarded a grant to the Marin Audubon Society for $100,000, and that was to help them acquire the Corte Madera Marsh. Uh, they subsequently implemented a restoration project, which was very cool. Um, and then in 2018, we again awarded the Marin Audubon with $28,500 for the acquisition of Black Point Wetland. Uh, and then finally, we have a pending application from the Marin Open Space Trust, and that is for the acquisition of Upper Hawthorne Canyon uh, there in San Anselmo. All right, so let's uh, move on to the next slide and take a look at um, what's changed from Measure A 1.0 to Measure A 2.0 as it pertains to this grant program. So the grant program is funded through uh, the Preserve Natural Lands component of the Measure A Expenditure Plan. And so in 1.0, there was a 20% set aside of the Parks and Open Space uh, Program annual budget. In addition to that, the grant program was set up to provide uh, gap funding only. And what I mean by that is uh, there were some maximums established. And so there, the maximums were 50% of the acquisition price um, or $100,000, whichever was less. And the reason we did that is we were really trying to leverage the, the Measure A funds. And we're still doing that, but we've made some slight tweaks to allow us some more flexibility, which I'll talk about in a moment. Um, and then finally, uh, under Measure A 1.0, the grant program specifically was looking at providing funding for the acquisition of open space or, or natural lands. All right, so then hopping over to the Measure A 2.0 column, um, we'll talk about the, the changes that have been made. Uh, so the first one, there was a, a reduction in the allocation uh, that, that helps fund the grant program. So we went from 20% to 10%. Uh, and then <coughs> in order to align with the, we took the opportunity to align ourselves with the county's uh, equity and inclusion goals and also the department's equity in, and inclusion goals. And in the next slide, I'll get into the practical implications of that and how that shows up in the, in the new uh, grant program. Um, and then finally, we are uh, in Measure A 2.0 for, for the grant program specifically. We're providing funding uh, both for open space acquisitions, but also for park uh, acquisitions. And again, when, I, when I'm referring to park acquisitions, that's really more active uh, facilities like ball fields and playgrounds. And with that, we'll go on to the next slide, please. Okay. So let's look at how these updates affected the grant program. Of course, all of the updates that we made 
um, are intended to make the grant program consistent with the new Measure 8 ordinance. So as I've said many times, we're allowing now for the funding of park acquisitions. Um, and then talking about that equity and inclusion piece, we have incorporated into the grant program uh, the mention that staff is gonna meet annually and coordinate with qualifying organizations that serve communities of color, uh, and that in fact it serve all of the communities that have been traditionally underrepresented in the political process in Marin. So that includes communities of color, it also includes low-income communities, uh, youth, and, and rural communities. And then finally, uh, I wanted to, oh, fi finally on that slide, um, we are also offering to provide technical assistance. And so how we see that playing out is in organizations that maybe don't have the fiscal capacity or the, the technical capacity to explore uh, acquisition opportunities, um, but they have a desire to see uh, acquisition occur for open space and parks in their communities. So we're saying we've got in-house expertise that we're willing to offer and, and help them through the process to explore opportunities. In addition to that, we can also um, try to partner folks up with uh, good partners for additional funding and or stewardship uh, moving forward. Um, then the last thing that I wanted to mention about the changes, I, I mentioned that 50% that maximum uh, on the last slide. Um, so the, the tweak that we make is we made is we took away that dollar amount maximum. So um, the new guidelines say that the, the grant award can be up to 50% of the acquisition price, no grant maximum, or excuse me, no uh, dollar amount maximum. And then beyond that, we're saying that in communities that serve, excuse me, organizations that serve communities that are traditionally underrepresented, uh, we may be go, go beyond that. Um, so next slide, please. All right, so we talked about the changes to the grant program. Um, next steps, today we're presenting to you all, and I'm uh, certainly open to hearing your feedback, and can, we can continue to make changes to the program as needed. Uh, but then we're hoping to have everything finalized and meeting with qualified organizations in the fall of 23, and then be ready for proposals in the fall or winter of 23-24. Next slide, please. All right, so that concludes uh, my presentation, but before I go, I just wanted to let folks in the public know that if they're interested in learning more about the grant program, they can visit the Marin County Parks website. Our amazing communications team already has a webpage live, um, and you can go there and find out information about the grant program and also download an application as well. And that concludes my presentation. Very good. Questions? Sure. Uh, th thank you so much for the presentation. Um, just a quick one. <clears throat> Looking at the grants that have been given to date and probably the, uh, the buildup of funds over time, is there a, a policy with um, carryover funds or do they just remain in this pool waiting for a grant? Yeah, they, they can only be in with used for the acquisition piece. Most of the acquisition funds have been used by the county itself. So this is the same pot of money that we use the funds for, like for purchasing Bald Hill or Bowman Canyon or Bucks Landing or potentially for the Martha property. So, uh, but the since the, the, since the first version of Measure A, there was an interest in both utilizing those funds for the county's own purposes, but also having a grant program so that if there were ways to leverage the money for uh, other organizations or, or uh, agencies around the county, there was an opportunity to do so at your board's discretion. Great, and do you know roughly what the fund balance would be in this at, at this stage? It's limited. We basically, at the end of the previous measure, I think we allocated almost all the funds. Yeah, we're and down so to 
and then yeah, at the 10% versus the 20%, it will build more slowly. Yeah, it's 10% of 65%. Yeah. So I don't know what that is. I think last time we estimated, uh, did we estimate about a million a year? I think that, that sounds about right. Uh, you said about a million a year? A million a year for, to cover, right, uh, department acquisitions as well as this grant program. Gotcha. Wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. I'm hoping you could speak to the issue of urban greening and how, I mean, I really appreciate that the reframing of this to try to address um, underserved communities. And um, in my on my seat at ABAG, this came up in the last um, meeting about priority conservation areas that were, you know, looking at um, land mass, I guess, and acquisition in that way. But when we're looking at some of the communities that don't have access to parks, it may not look like a large ball field, but more urban greening and so forth. And how does that? I'm thinking that the acquisition piece of it also might be different, but I would just love to kind of hear your thoughts and what you're thinking on how we might address um, those issues differently. Well, I can say that I think that the, the answer to your question is going to come from that uh, annual coordination with the organizations that represent those communities so that we can be begin to understand what their priorities and their needs are and figure out how to make the, the grant program uh, work to either fit those needs or help partner them up with organizations uh, and funding agencies that can. Does that? And I, I guess the other thing I'd add is just, I think that's exactly what we're trying to capture here is that the variety of community needs continues to evolve. And I think like, especially looking at Marin County in general, you know, a lot of the big parkland areas for conservation have been acquired. And maybe the community need is changing from preserving these big areas of land to having, you know, probably smaller, uh, you know, acreage-wise areas, but that serve an important community need for maybe more developed parts of the community. Yeah, and I think e potentially even smaller than that, right? That if we can add trees and access that may not actually be a place to congregate, that there's some value there. I just encourage you, if you haven't looked at this at this priority conservation area discussion, and I'm happy to share it with you because it's, I think, regionally looking at that issue too, and how do we, um, you know, go from the large land to to providing these shady areas or trees or habitat opportunities for people to experience nature throughout our communities. So, thank you. This made me think about our housing element and potential developments, dense developments that may not have the opportunity of a little local park or something or, or gathering area. Would that apply, do you think, in, in this program? Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah. Just a follow-up to that. So, so the term acquisition may be too narrow in a way I, I'm just I'm wondering and I'm, I'm thinking about some of the other monies that are available um, through measure a um, that can go towards some of the applications that um, uh, Mary and Dennis are sort of talking about I mean you could flesh that out because I I completely agree with their point I think when we re-upped uh, and sort of revised measure a, we were envisioning trying to create a little bit more room for creativity in terms of 
green space, green community space, recreation space within urban settings. But, but so two things. One, it's not if it's not solely an acquisition grant program, maybe clarify that, and then also just talk about maybe potentially some of the other ways Measure A funds can be used to establish the same kinds of um, ideas for in terms of green space, park, recreation that Measure A actually allows for through different programs. Yeah, so the, um, this program can only be used for either acquisition or capital improvements on the acquisition that's acquired in this program just because that's sort of the nexus of how that was created. But there is a lot of flexibility that we built into Measure A to meet those evolving community needs. And another example of it is within the um, Sustainable Agriculture Program. So, you know, that used to be almost entirely just for acquiring agricultural conservation easements with a very small part for the Resource Conservation District. The new measure, 50% of it's still for the ag easements. 20% for the RCD, but there's 30% of it that's for a very broad range of uses. And we've been developing that program over the last year, and we'll have a presentation to your board about that in the not too distant future. But that's a really neat program that can provide some of those types of urban greening activities, community gardens. It's, you know, it's, it's food connected, but it's, you know, um, it's not just food in the you know big uh, agricultural sense, but also in like a very small agricultural sense. So um, uh, it's me like all these opportunities are really exciting for us to be engaged in. The other piece, you know, fifteen percent goes to the cities, towns, and special districts, and we work actively with with um, those partners to you know support them as well. And um, so I, there's just there's a lot of opportunities. I mean, I think. There are other places where we're using the funds, you know, like for instance in Marin City with Rocky Graham Park, we support the maintenance of that park through Measure A, not through the city town special district, but through the 65% that comes to the county. So, you know, I think at, you know, of course, looking to your board for direction, we are always looking for opportunities to be creative and, um, and support the community as, as the needs evolve. Max, I want to uh, add to these comments. I remember when we were discussing the renewal of Measure A, and there was a discussion about um, looking at affordable housing projects and ways that, that parks might uh, be part of the planning or otherwise give input to affordable housing projects, which don't always have the funds for some of these amenities. And based on what you're saying, I'm not quite sure where in the mix that lands. But I, I would hope that maybe there's some conversation with Lily and her group or the cities uh, about how we could enhance some of these projects with parks and green space. Sounds great. And I think probably project by project, we can yeah. find a place for it to land and it might be different depending on the situation. Yeah. I think that kind of partnership makes a lot of sense. I do too. So if there's if you reach out to them or they reach out to you or however that works, but I think it'd be good to be intentional about it and not miss opportunities we have for some small parklets and whatnot. One more follow-up to that. And just tagging on to that, um, two things. One, uh, it was specific to this grant program. I'm reading it as having the ap um, ability to actually be used to acquire what may be, um, what may be um, a built 
a piece of a built environment, an existing, um, within an in range of an existing um, housing complex and converting it to park. Um, and then also, um, I wouldn't want to be signaling to developers out there that they shouldn't be creating <laughs> developments and funding themselves, um, developments that actually create community and have all the kinds of spaces that folks need who are living within it. Just don't want them leaning on our Measure A monies. We want to make them do it. <laughs> okay. okay, all right, so uh, is there any public comment in the chambers? I'm not seeing anyone. Is there any comment online? Yes, Johnson Reynolds, please unmute. Yeah, yeah, I, I appreciate uh, Murray Sackett started the conversation and then uh, other supervisors picked up on the housing on housing element, making small parks available and part of the housing element. I appreciate that. And then the staff responding that they will be creative in providing space that people of color and low, low income people can access. We really need to provide those kind of spaces for people, uh, all kinds of people, including the uh, low income and uh, people of color. So I appreciate you looking at that and also 15% going to the cities for that purpose too. So that's very helpful. I, I appreciate and I support what the uh, Board of Supervisors said about this and also the staff responding creatively about that. So thank you. The next speaker is Eva, please unmute. It's great to have a county department about which you can only say wonderful things. Um, Parks Department is amazing and underpaid. Um, I saw some of the entry um, salaries, and I was I was really I was a little disturbed because these are some of the hardest working employees in the county. Uh, they 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 give you the most bang for your buck, even if you doubled their salaries. Um, they're providing uh, respite from the heat. They're they're getting people acquainted with nature. Um, this is the kind of thing that the county should be funding as much as it funds uh, law enforcement and weird programs like wastewater drug testing, which don't actually prevent overdoses. Um, you know, this is a department that needs more money. Uh, it, it needs uh, more respect. And what we've seen uh, over the past couple decades is more and more money leaving public spaces um, and more public spaces being privatized and, and being shuttled into everything to do with um, law enforcement and carceral systems. So uh, it's just a caution that, that this is a really important department. It's important to keep it as public as it can possibly be. Um, any creepy privatization like um, letting people uh, reserve parts of the park um, for their own personal use obviously impedes onto um, the larger public's uh, ability to access it. And I do want to say that one of the great things about Marin County Parks is that they're far more diverse than Marin County itself. I mean, it's you really see it in the parks. It's a wonderful place for people to come together and enjoy nature. And um, much kudos to this department. Preston Mount Peters, there are no additional speakers in the queue. Thank you. 
And we'll bring it back. Our action today is accept the report. I move acceptance of the report. Thank you. Second. Okay, motion by Lucan, second by Sackett. All in favor? Aye. Thank you for the good news. Thank you. Okay, we have another parks item. This is to conduct a public hearing and to continue the Rush Creek Landscaping Lighting District. Good morning, Supervisors. Chris Chamberlain, Marin County Parks. Uh, and this is uh, step four, the fourth and final step of the annual process of continuing the Rush Creek Landscape and Lighting District uh, up in Novato. Uh, back in April, your board uh, adopted an initial resolution of intention and directed staff to prepare an engineer's report uh, in June, we brought that engineer's report back to you all for approval, and then most recently on uh, July 11th, uh, your board conducted a public information meeting uh, in which staff described the services um, that are uh, paid for through this assessment annually, uh, and we also talked about a parallel track uh, of community conversation going towards uh, a potential election with the, the residents within this assessment district about um, a modest increase to the annual assessment. So uh, today before you, we're looking, to we're looking for your board to conduct a, a public hearing, uh, hear from any of the residents within the assessment district, uh, answer any questions that they may have, um, but also to then approve uh, the continuation of the assessment district and then to adopt a resolution confirming the diagram of assessment and um, uh, which describes the Rush Creek Landscape and Lighting District. So. Just a quick recap on the actual services. It's uh, maintenance to the common areas, which include um, fuels work and vegetation management, uh, maintaining a small community park within the assessment district, uh, also equestrian um, and other multi-use pathways that front the, uh, the housing development there on Atherton, as well as the landscaping within those common areas, as well as some lighting features. Um, so that uh, generally captures what we're doing today, and uh, I'd look to your board and Madam President to open the hearing. Okay, very good. I'd like to open the public hearing on this item and call for any public testimony. I'm not seeing anyone in the chambers. Is there anyone online? Preston Mount Peters, there are no speakers in the queue. Okay, we will uh, close the public hearing, bring it back to the Board of Supervisors. Uh, I would entertain a motion to adopt the resolution confirming the diagram and assessment for Rush Creek Landscaping and Lighting District. I'll move the item. Okay. Second. All right, we have a motion, uh, Rice, second, Radoni. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Very good. Uh, with that, I think we have concluded our work on this. We have, thank you. Okay, thank you very much. Okay, that leaves us with item number 10, appointment to the Women's Commission. And this is a District 5 uh, item. Uh, this is due to the resignation of Magali Lametta, and there's one application was received from Catherine Koisman. Is there a motion to make an appointment? Uh, yes, <clears throat> I would move the appointment of Catherine uh, to the Women's Commission and thank uh, Magali for her service. I will second that motion and that thanks. Okay, very good. We have motion to second. Any public comment on this? Not seeing anyone in the chambers. Anyone online? Press 7 Mount Peters. There are no speakers in the queue. Okay, we have a motion. 
Uh, Lucan, a second. Rice, all in favor? Aye. Aye. Okay, congratulations to Catherine. We'll recess now as the Marin County Board of Supervisors and we will reconvene as the Marin County Open Space District Board of Directors. And hello again, Max. The first item is the approval of the minutes for May 23rd, June 6th, and June 13th, 2023. Move the minutes. Thank you. Is there a second? Second. Thank you. Any public comment on this item? No one in the chambers. Anyone online? Representative Mullen Peters, there are no speakers in the queue. Okay, we have a motion and a second. All in favor? Aye. Aye, thank you. That motion carries. Uh, any board of directors matters? Okay, no outdoor enthusiasts making comments. Max, back to you for the general manager's report. Uh, thank you, directors. I'm Max Gordon, general manager of Marin County Open Space District. Um, we've had uh, some very busy weekends in our parks, uh, and um, as is usual in the warm summer uh, days. Uh, two weeks ago, we had a water line break at Stafford Lake Park, uh, so we are working closely with North Marin Water District on both a long-term solution for replacing the water line. Unfortunately, the old pipe went under the lake, so it's impossible for us to repair it in the short term. Um, and so it may take up to a year to, or more to replace that. In the, in the shorter term, we've got uh, portable restrooms. We've, we're working on putting in uh, tanks uh, and pumps so that we can uh, get the, the regular restrooms back up and going as well. Um, but, uh, and so we're working both, North Marin's been a great partner in terms of both the short and long-term solutions there. And then uh, work is continuing on the Eagle Rock Trail, which you could see if those drapes are open right out the window. Um, it's a really exciting road and trail project, and I want to appreciate all of the hundreds of volunteers who've come out to help make that project possible. Um, and then work is beginning on our Roy's Redwoods restoration, a trail improvement project. I think in the next week it should start August 1st. So that's really exciting. Um, during this first year of work, uh, we expect most of the preserves still to be open to the public. Uh, the second year, we'll probably have to close some significant sites where we do the work. And then it's currently the public comment period for the uh, CEQA document for the Bolinas Y project. Uh, that'll be open till August 8th. Okay, any questions or comments on that? Max, I had one thing that I meant to mention to you in our earlier items, but it can work now. The, for your equity work, there is a group out of Oakland called Outdoor Afro that works to support uh, connection for black Americans with nature and leadership. And uh, they do interesting work, and so I just thought I'd bring that to your attention in case that's something we could look into. Yes, we know them. Do you? Yes. Oh, yeah, Rue and the, yeah, that team. Yeah. Yeah, good, 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 okay, super. Uh, with that, we'll open for public comment. I'm not seeing anyone in the chambers. Is there anyone online? Yes, Clayne Smith, please unmute. Concerning my observations and suspicions concerning the chemical aerosoling of the atmosphere, I've been witnessing for the past several years the Biden administration has just signed off on the plan put forward by the Gates Foundation, amongst others, 
to saturate the upper atmosphere with aluminum oxide nanoparticles to dim the planet by blocking sunlight. Sadly, the silvery tint to our uh, previously clear blue skies, which has come to dominate our current skies, this is my opinion confirmation that they've already been doing this for some time. Outside of its impact on our health, one potential consequence of the spraying that is not talked about is its impact on fire mitigation. Aluminum nanoparticles are the key components in making the explosive thermite. Many in the geoengineering watch community suspect that the spraying in Canada that preceded the recent fires may have been the cause for the unexpectedly high temperatures accompanying those fires, as well as their sudden and explosive ignition everywhere, seemingly all at once. I think it would be wise to um, analyze our soil, water, and foliage for evidence of aluminum contamination in our environment, given the activity of the Fed spraying our skies. If found, public hearings should be held to get to the bottom of this latest manifestation of climatism. Turning the world into a veritable tinderbox puts, puts all our lives in the balance. Thank you. Thank you, Senator Mullen-Peters. There are no additional speakers in the queue. Thank you. Uh, I'll let open time for public expression. I probably should have. Uh, <laughs> is there anyone who wishes to address this board on an item not on the agenda? I'm not seeing anyone in the chambers. President Mullen Peters, there are no speakers in the queue. Okay, thank you. We'll close that time and move now to 11D, request to accept report of delegated agreements. Uh, I'll move, I'll, I'll move um, item 11D. Second. Second. Okay, any public comment on this item? President Mullen Peters, there are no speakers in the queue. Okay, thank you. We have a motion by Rice, a second by Sackett. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Item 11E, request to approve the purchase of services from the Conservation Corps North Bay for fire fuel reduction, work veg management, and annual drain clearance in open space. Thank you, directors. Uh, this is a longtime partnership with Conservation Corps North Bay. They both provide really important um, fuels reduction work. You know, this is part of our Measure A. It's the 25% of the 65% is set aside for fuels reduction. They do annual defensible space mowing, clearing along the sides of our fire roads. And additionally, they provide job training and education, uh, especially for folks who are working on sort of second chance and, and um, need extra support. So it's been a great opportunity to uh, to also provide those services and uh, to develop the next generation of a more diverse uh, group of land managers and rangers and, and people to do this work. Super. Any questions on this item? I'm not seeing any. This is routine. Any public comment online? There's no one in the chambers. President Mullen Peters, there are no speakers in the queue. All right. We'll bring it back then to approve the open space district to purchase services, Conservation Corps North Bay in the amount not to exceed 
$346,000. I'm happy to move this action and just commend it as a great project of dollars very well spent um, on our fuel reduction work. Second. Great. Thank you. Uh, we have a motion by second, a second by Radoni. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Thank you. That carries. And we'll move now to 11F. This is a request to approve the purchase of services from Forrester and Kroger in the amount of $92,400. Also for fire fuel reduction work, this time at Bald Hill Open Space Preserve. Thank you again, directors. This is uh, a contract um, also out of that same uh, pot of money from Measure A that's dedicated to fuels reduction. This is part. This work is part of the Greater Ross Valley Shaded Fuel Break Project, and really one of the huge benefits of Measure C and the MWPA is that we have this regional coordination, and so we know as we do this defensible space work on our land, it's connected to work on all the other adjacent lands and is part of a strategy to make our communities safer. And at the same time, uh, it improves the ecological condition of the, the uh, natural resources that we manage. Super. Any questions? Nope, not seeing any. Any comment online? Professor Mullen Peters, there are no speakers in the queue. We'll bring it back. Happy to move this item. You. Second. Okay, moved by Sackett, second by Radoni. All in favor? Aye. 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 Thank you. That passes, and that brings us to item 11G. Approved Greater Nevada Fuel Reduction Project Resolution to adopt findings of fact and statement of overriding considerations, adopt the mitigated reporting and monitoring program, and authorize filing of notice of determination as a responsible agency. Thank you again, Director. So this, uh, just like speaking to the Greater Ross Valley Fuel Break, uh, this is a similar effort in Novato. It's a partnership with uh, the MWPA and with uh, Novato Fire. And again, it's, it's taking a strategic approach to uh, protecting communities from the threat of wildfire and looking at defensible space surrounding that entire uh, community in a strategic way. And so uh, this already has been to the uh, MWPA board, I think back in April and was approved. And then we're bringing this to your board specifically for, I think the total fuel break is 2,123 acres and 520 of those acres are within uh, the county open space preserves. Very good. Any questions? Yeah. Max, thanks so much. Um, just so glad to see these projects coming through and they really do um, underscore how um, important it is that we're all, that, that we passed Measure C and that this county and all the many agencies and jurisdictions within it have really um, embraced coordinating and coordinating uh, work they do and also um, collaborating on the work they do and then also the fact that this project is not just for the creation of um, the, the fuel breaks, but the ongoing maintenance, as is the Ross Valley project and so many others. And historically, you know, we did we did fuel work, and it, they were ones and dones, and they weren't maintained. Um, so it just we've really moved along. And this environmental review, of course, speaks to that as well. But what I'm what I wanted to ask you is, um, as part of I, I'm. Curious, just generally, not just with regard to this project. Um, 
we, I'm assuming that your resource folks are sort of monitoring conditions in the areas that we're doing um, a lot of the, the vegetation management and fuel work to um, just towards monitoring actually the general health and what happens in those areas. And I would love to have a report back in the future. My, um, my instinct, my gut would say actually that habitat is improved and um, we should actually be seeing better conditions in areas that have been uh, going through these kinds of treatments and maybe treatments that the greatest word, but because um, that's what I'm seeing on the ground when I'm out there walking around is where, you know, it just not, not only is cleaned up, but um, that understory that had built up was smothering things. Um, anyway, I would love to see a report back because this is not just about fuel reduction, it's actually about uh, improving environmental conditions. That sounds great. Happy to do that. And I just want to take a second to appreciate Michelle Juline, who's our uh, planner, senior planner, who does our environmental compliance work and worked on this, but also all of our natural resource team who really are, I think of them as like the brains behind this, a lot of this fuels work, because what's so cool about it is that just what you were saying, how this isn't a one and done effort, that it's something that we do this initial work, it takes a little more money to do it. That's the same exact tool that we use for restoration and, and removing invasive species and restoring ecosystem health is that we go through, do a project, and then uh, maintain it every year to make sure it's successful. And so I really do think that we're seeing improved uh, natural systems and and that the really cool thing about this work is that you don't even really notice that it happened because if we do it right, it looks like a natural forest because of course a lot of these forests evolved with fire and so uh, having that sort of open understory is, is, is what it, it probably would look like uh, without uh, some of the, the changes we've made. Yeah, and then I also, I just um, want to follow up. Um, I know um, with my, wearing my Coastal Commission hat, we're seeing um, larger f uh, fire projects, um, actually the, the environmental work come through, and of course it's a concern that when you're doing work on scale, I mean, and this is fairly big scale for the county, there's even larger projects in other parts of the coast, but to what degree are we sharing our experience here um, with other agencies uh, in the state towards, frankly, not only um, upping everyone's game in terms of best practices, uh, but also um, providing some assurance to the environmental community that this kind of work can move forward and achieve those multiple benefits we just spoke about? It's a great question. I mean, I think there are a number of ways. I mean, we just, our team was just connecting with, I think some folks from the Forest Service who are, are looking region-wide at different efforts and sort of what our best practices and lessons learned. I, you know, I really think, you know, uh, a lot of what we're doing is kind of more standard, but the MWPA is so unique in Measure C. I think there's a lot of communities that want to replicate that effort. Um, and then the other thing that we're a part of that is sort of uh, setting up, you know, is, is really, I think people are looking to as a, a cool example is the forest health, our one-time forest health strategy with all of our regional land management partners that really Marin Water and Golden Gate National Parks Conservancy are taking the lead on, but using really sophisticated technology and modeling to understand climate change and how we can 
create strategies for forest management that both reduce wildfire risk, promote ecosystem health, promote carbon sequestration, conservation of water, all these multiple goals um, on the landscape. Great. I had just a question. Could just oh, yeah, answer, answer part of that to that question. MWPA from the very beginning has engaged the environmental groups to be a partner in this process and work side by side with them when they're developing these plans and these programs to get their input. And that's proven to be really successful. And I think that's what people are watching. They're, they want to know how does this partnership work? Why is it working so well? Why are you achieving your goals at the same time protecting the environment and improving it? So. Thank you. I just had a quick question, Max. I've heard about this project for a while, and it is a really large one. And I wonder, who, there's a lot of agencies involved. Is there one lead agency for it, or is it a collaborate? How, how does it work? The Nevada, Greater Nevada Fuel Break. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. So it's three. There's you know three partners. It's an MWPA project with Nevada Fire. I think that's sort of the leadership, and then we're sort of a smaller partner because our acreage is relatively limited. It's only, I don't know what, 520 out of 2,300 or whatever. So it's, uh, but that's really the partnership is uh, those three agencies. I get it. And so then what you're asking us to approve today is an EIR for our, our portion, open space. CEQA compliance. CEQA compliance, yeah. Okay. Even though the whole MWPA, when they took this to their board, it was the whole project, which also includes our portion. See. Yeah. A little redundant, but. Very good. Okay. If there are no further questions, uh, we'll open to public comment online. There's no one in the chambers. President Mall Peters, there are no speakers in the queue. Okay. We'll bring it back now uh, for a motion to approve the resolution. I will go ahead and do that. I just want to commend staff for their great work. Uh, as uh, President Mullen Peters mentioned, this is a huge project with a lot of different agencies. Um, so just really want to commend the county for all your work on this. Excited to see this happen. So with that, I will make a motion to uh, adopt the resolution, uh, including the findings of fact and statement and overriding conditions, as well as adoption of the mitigation uh, reporting and monitoring program, and then directing staff to file a notice of determination as a responsible agency. Second. Okay, we have a motion by Lucan, a second by Rice. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Okay, thank you for that. And with that, we will now adjourn as the Marin County Open Space District Board of Directors. Uh, we'll reconvene as the Marin County Board of Supervisors and we'll recess uh, with, and then go into closed session at 12 noon. We'll be back at 1.30. Okay, we're adjourned to recess. Good afternoon, we are reconvening as the Board of Supervisors. We were in closed session and direction was given to staff. Uh, our item number 13 now is Community Development Agency uh, to conduct a hearing for the NEMIC appeal of the Planning Commission's approval of the David Alexander Separate Trust with all permit and design review on a vacant parcel on Elm Road in Bolinas.
Oh, Jeremy, greetings. Thank you, uh, and good afternoon. Uh, today we have the uh, bill before you um, presented by Aaron Yato, who's been with us for a couple of years. I think it's the first time she's actually been before your board. Hi, Aaron. Was before us with code enforcement, so she's been with the county for a while now and knows her way around. Um, so she'll give you a brief presentation, uh, take you through the project a little bit, and then um, then the appellant will uh, typically speak first. They have a presentation as well, and then the applicant will speak last, and they also have a presentation. So that's kind of the order of operations, I think, for this afternoon. And uh, will we have uh, questions in between each of the presentations, or how does that work? Of course, yeah. You can have uh, questions if you want right after the initial presentation, and then if you have additional questions for the applicant or the appellant, they'll also be available for questions. So with that, I'll turn it over to Aaron, and we can get started with that first presentation. Good afternoon, supervisors. Um, as Jeremy indicated, my name is Erin Yata. I'm the project planner. Today I'll be providing with information pertaining to the David Alexander Separate Trust at All Coastal Permit and Design Review. The project is proposed on a vacant lot um, located on, on Elm Road. It extends from Hawthorne Road to Grove Road and Bolinas. It is also known as Assessor's Parcel Number 191-031-33. Next slide, please. Oh, actually, go back one slide, please. Thank you. Um, here's an aerial image of the proposed project location. The project was submitted on August 18, 2022. The DZA approved the project with conditions on January 26, 2023. A timely appeal was submitted by Toby Nemec and Christina Chin Nemec on February 9, 2023. Um, they reside on Grove Road across from the proposed project site. On April 24th, 2023, the Planning Commission voted to deny the appeal and uphold the DZA's approval of the project with conditions. On May 8th, 2023, the timely appeal was submitted by the NEMEX, which is what has led us here today. Next slide, please. Here is an image of an elevation of the barn from the proposed plan set. The barn is proposed to be 780 square feet. It was originally proposed to be 22 feet, six inches from grade. Uh, a condition required that it be lowered to 15 feet. A 1,000 square foot hoop greenhouse, a 100 square foot shed, and two 2,500 gallon water tanks are also proposed as part of the project. This, this site is located in the CRA B2 zoning district, coastal residential agriculture with minimum lot size of 10,000 square feet. And the proposed land use of a plant nursery without on-site sales is a principally permitted land use in this zoning district. Next slide, please. This image is of the site plan from the proposed plan set. And as you can see, the proposed structures are um, depicted here. I've also included red arrows to indicate the locations of the existing agricultural wells on the site. There are three. The previous property owner had these um, permitted in 2006, and Mr. Alexander is intending to use them to irrigate the garden and the greenhouse plants. 
As you can see, no new wells are proposed in the scope of this project. Next slide, please. The Planning Commission has approved this project with the following conditions. They required that the barn be lowered to 15 feet above surrounding grade. There's two main reasons why this condition was included. One was to reduce the overall mass and bulk of the structure, and the other was um, in an effort to be sensitive to some of the history of um, folks on the Mesa utilizing structures that have not been permitted for human habitation um, and utilizing those for residential uses. Originally, this barn included a loft in the upper level, um, and so by reducing this structure to 15 feet, we've eliminated that loft and hopefully minimized any potential for any portion of the structure to potentially be converted um, to a residential use without authorization. It really just leaves um, an adequate amount of space for the proposed land use. In this spirit, another condition to obtain height verification for the barn was also required to ensure that it does not exceed 15 feet. And a, um, another condition was required to record a deed restriction on the property um, stating that existing structures cannot be converted to residential uses without prior approval from the county that would require a coastal permit. All standard conditions and special conditions 3 and 12 from the Uniformly Applied Conditions 2023 will apply to this project. Um, next slide, please. Staff's response to the appellant's points of appeal is that the wells are permitted, no new wells or changes to existing wells are proposed as in the scope of this project. Next slide, please. As such, staff recommend that the board deny the appeal and uphold the Planning Commission's conditional approval of the David Alexander Separate Trust et al. Coastal Permit and Design Review. Next slide, please. Thank you for your time and consideration of this matter. Um, should you have any questions, staff are available. Thank you. Any questions from the board? Not seeing any? All right, we can go on with the next presentation. So I think your board normally has the appellant come up next as the standard procedure. Excuse me? Oh, okay. Um, I'm representing the NEMIX in this appeal. Um, as the applicant here is requesting a coastal permit for new development, the wells must meet current standards and be analyzed on their own merits and as an integral component of this new project. The three wells do place development constraints on neighboring properties, and the fact that the wells were constructed in 2006 does not eliminate the presence of those constraints. These are not my opinions, these are your words. The board in 2010 wrote that when it denied the prior owner's coastal permit Again, not my words, but the board's words. As a coastal permit is currently being processed, 
the project must be analyzed for compliance with LCP Unit 1 Policy 3, end quote, meaning that the wells must be 100 feet from the wells property lines and or the project owner must get consent from the neighbors whose property is being interfered with. Neither one occurred here. In fact, way back um, when the prior owner first obtained permits to drill those wells, no notice or opportunity to be heard was provided by the county. When Toby Nemec learned that the property owner was applying for a coastal permit and also the conversion of the ag wells to domestic wells, he spoke out specifically about the encroachment onto his property. Letting the county know that he had not given and was not giving consent to the interference with his property rights. Envisioning the future, because what Toby Nemec worried about and wrote about is exactly what happened and why we're here today. He perceptively wrote in October 2009 to the EHS, if the existing wells do not affect my property, I need to have something from your department and the septic department in writing so that I will not have a problem in the future. He went on, if the existing wells do affect my property, I need to know in writing how they affect my property and under what authority these wells were granted without my knowledge or consent. And last he wrote, this is very important for me. I do not want to find out years from now that these wells have made me unable to upgrade my septic system or cost me tens of thousands of dollars more because I have to put in a more expensive septic system because of the wells. And that's exactly what happened. The Nemics, after obtaining a permit and installing their septic system, they had the permit. They were directed by the county at their own cost to modify the septic system. It cost about $7,500 and they lost a bedroom capacity from their septic system. So they went from a five bedroom system to a four bedroom system. Obviously this affects more than just the bedroom, it affects the value of their property, etc. Also, are they allowed to have animals in that overlap? So if you look at the PowerPoint um, on the screen, the, the pink circumference represents well B's 21 feet encroachment onto the Nemec property. And the yellow circumference represents the well C's seven foot encroachment onto the property. Um, the 100 foot radius of well B overlaps by 21 feet, which is over 3,000 square feet. Um, well C overlaps by seven feet, which is about 1,000 square feet. But then when you deduct the overlap of those two circumferences, it comes out to about a little under 4,000 square feet that is being interfered with on their property. Uh, Jeremy, are you keeping track of time here? Do they have 10 minutes or so for a presentation? Are you guys keeping track? Okay, I just wanted to do it. I, I don't have much longer. I was not keeping okay. track. Okay, very good. All right, go, please proceed. Thank you. Um, 
Frankly, it's astounding to me, and as a lawyer, somewhat disheartening that the Nemics have to argue for the third time that their property rights are being interfered with and infringed. Does Marin County take into consideration the 14th Amendment and the 5th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution? These are fundamental rights, fundamental in our Constitution and the California Constitution as well. The Nemics were never provided due process when those three wells were drilled and the wells infringe on their fundamental rights, rights protected by our constitutions. In addition to the constitutionally prohibited infringement of the wells, there's a question as to the legality of the wells to begin with. When they were drilled and permitted in 2006, uh, Scott Callow of the EHS knew what the regulations were. It had to be, the wells had to be 100 feet from any current or potential or future septic system. And in fact, Mr. Dewallaby, the prior owner, wrote to Jennifer Blackman, the manager of the BPUD, that they are within the five-foot setback for septic tanks or septic systems, so there's not an issue here. But that was not true. They were not five feet from, uh, for, with, within five feet of the septic system setback requirement. Scott Callow also regularly wrote that the wells were drilled within 100 feet of known existing and documented septic systems. But that's the wrong legal standard. The legal standard is current or future. Future means within five feet, the five-foot setback for septic systems. And Mr. Dwallaby knew that, but drilled anyway. Therefore, the NEMEX respectfully requests that this board deny the Alexander Coastal Permit and require the legal abandonment of all wells, certainly wells B and C, that encroach onto neighboring properties unless consent is provided. Thank you. Any questions? Thank you. Good questions at the end. So if we can bring up that third presentation, please. This is not the applicant? You like the applicant? Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were the applicant. Are you speaking on behalf of the appellant? I'm sorry about that. Uh, could we take down this presentation? And do you want the other presentation up, the appellant's presentation? Yes? Okay, you've got a couple minutes. Okay, hello, Board of Supervisors. Hello, everybody. Um, I'm Toby Nemec, a contractor, lifetime resident of Bolinas, and the neighbor who's uh, most impacted by this project. I'd like to start off by saying that I was here 13 years ago in front of you. Some of you board members might have been the same. Some of you might not. 
And that prior board already ruled that Wells A and B did in fact put land developmental constraints on my property. This determination stopped the conversion from agricultural to residential wells. It also um, outlined the non-compliance of these wells. These wells are not in compliance, thus making them illegal. I'd also like to point out that well B, the well that has the greatest impact on my property, is not being used. It is capped. It was covered with brush. And by definition, that is an abandoned well. Uh, that's, that's what, in, in your own statutes, that's what an abandoned well is defined as, something that's capped and covered by brush. I was never notified of any of these wells or given any chance to object. Um, I was only discovered the existence when the prior owner, Mr. DeWallaby, was trying to convert them into residential wells. I oppose the use of these wells and have since, and have since the discovery of my water rights that have been taken away from me. This is a taking. On 666, Scott Callow visited the proposed well site and determined that there was no constraints on the neighboring properties and a permit was issued. Yet Scott Callow emailed directly with Mr. DeWallaby about changing my septic system in the future. So he was knowingly going against his own compliance. In my hand is a piece of paper, an application for a well. And clearly on line seven, a minimum 100-foot setback to all existing and future septic system sewer disposal system should be considered. It wasn't. Furthermore, the dates don't line up on any of these well completion reports that are supposed to be submitted within 30 days. None of them were. Maybe 60, maybe 90. I don't know if that's an issue. I'd also like to say that I decided to uh, move forward with my own development of my own property. I had a professional survey, survey of the property, and I pointed out these wells to the surveyor. He said the wells weren't on state or county records, so they had no power over me. Okay, will you take one more minute? Yes, I'll, I'll just give me, give me one more. My septic engineer designed my septic system to modern standards, and when I finalized, was finalizing my septic permit, I was notified I was in code violation. I moved the septic lines, and I, and I, because I was forced to, and now I'm minus one bedroom. I'd like to ask why these wells were not on record. I'd also like to know why these wells were finalized after my project and put on record after my project was done. Seems like there's been some shifting of some papers going on. I cannot understand why the county continues to advocate for the development of this land when there is clearly non-compliance going on. If you're to develop a land to modern day standards, you have to have modern day standards apply. I, I implore you guys to have some sympathy and empathy. If this was your land, would you feel comfortable with your rights being taken away? Consider that, please, for me. Yes, now the applicant, and could we have a timer set, please? 10. I'll make it 12 because the other one's got it. <clears throat> we have a presentation that's not up yet, so.
Good afternoon and thank you for being here today and thank you for your attention. I would like to start out by emphasizing that on January 26, 2023, the applicants first appealed the deputy zoning administrator to the deputy zoning administrator was denied. Subsequently, they appealed the DZA's decision on April 24, 2023, and their appeal to the Planning Commission was again denied. Next slide. In this presentation, I would like to review the history of the property, outline the vision for our project, and address the petitioner's appeal claims. Next slide. In 2011, we acquired the land, at, which had unfortunately been used by many years by people as a motorcycle track and a dumping ground. From 2011 to 2013, we embarked on a gradual process of clearing away the debris and garbage that had accumulated on the land, and in 2014, we planted our first small garden with high hopes of one day starting our farm. Next slide. In the spring of 2021, Marin Fire asked property owners to clear flammable brush from their land. In compliance, we cleared pampas grass, poison oak, scotch broom and briars, and delivered several dump truck loads to our local resource recovery site. In August of 2021, unaware that a coastal permit was required, we purchased water tanks from the BPUD and brought in trailers and a tractor to facilitate the building of our farm infrastructure. In November of 2021, the BPUD delivered the water tanks to our site. Next slide. On December 9th, 2021, we found ourselves in a situation where someone reported us to the county, resulting in notifications of violations. Some of the allegations made against us were untrue. However, we took immediate action and engaged with the county to address the existing violations. Thankfully, we were exonerated from the false allegations, which was confirmed in writing. As a consequence of the report, we were required to apply for a coastal permit. During this process, the county discovered that the appellant's new septic system, which was not yet finalized, had been constructed too close to one of our wells. Ms. Bart from Environmental Health Services, or Services informed us of the issue in an email on February 25th, 2022. And in response, I promptly emailed the appellants to express my surprise and to assure them of my willingness to cooperate without causing delays to their project. I copied Ms. Barrett on our email chain. Following the email exchange, I met with Mr. Nemec, and together we reached an, agreements, an agreement and shook hands on a resolution. The condition of our agreement was that they would not delay our project. Now, after two appeals and almost a year and a half has passed since these events, we find ourselves here today. On August 18, 2022, we submitted our coastal permit to the county. On November 8th, the Community Development Agency approved our project and posted a public notice at the property site. Shortly thereafter, the appellants requested a DZA hearing. Next slide. On January 26, 2023, the DZA approved our project with conditions which were acceptable to us. Eager to start up our project with very little time to waste in order to plant our orchard and gardens, the appellants again appealed the project. On, on April 24, 2023, the Planning Commission denied their appeal. Next slide. This is how the property looked when we purchased it in 2012. Two, uh, next slide. And this is how the property looks now. 
Our main goal is to cultivate our land and to produce food for our family, friends, and community. To achieve this mission, we will engage in various activities, including providing food for our family and friends, donating food to local nonprofit food programs, and selling produce and plants off-site at farm markets, local farm stands, nurseries, and restaurants. Next slide. This is our site plan for the Lazy Gate Family Farm. We're asking for a coastal permit for a barn, a greenhouse, two water tanks, and a shed. It's important to note that our wells were legally permitted for agricultural use in 2006. Both the DZA and the Planning Commission emphasized during their respective hearings that the wells are indeed legally permitted and furthermore that the wells are not even a consideration of this coastal permit application. Next slide. The appellants claim that the wells were constructed in violation of California law. This claim is not accurate. In 2011, prior to purchasing the property, I confirmed with the county that the wells were legally permitted and in good standing. Again, the county, oh, the, again, the county confirmed that the wells were legal in December of 2021 when I began the application process for this coastal permit. Mr. Callow, EHS drinking water and well drilling specialist also confirmed the legality of the wells in phone conversations with me and in written emails, records of which can be found in the CDA's draft resolution. The appellants assert, quote, both the deputy zoning administrator and the planning commission have stated because the wells already have been permitted in 2006, they cannot address the legality or infringement issues of those wells End quote. This statement is also inaccurate. During both the DZA and the Planning Commission hearings, it was unequivocally stated that the wells are legally permitted and in good standing. The wells are part of the existing property that we purchased in 2011. In fact, we paid a premium for the property because the wells were there. Our wells are not part of this coastal permit which again is for a barn, a greenhouse, two holding tanks, and a shed. Furthermore, the appellants maintain that the wells were abandoned. This is also inaccurate. The wells were legally permitted and in good standing when we bought the property and are so today, records of which can also be found in the CDA's draft resolution. Next slide. The appellants claim that they have been deprived of their property rights without due process of law. In their, in their petition for appeal, they assert, quote, the Department of Water Resources term potential use is purposefully broad so to avoid the well driller, drillers infringing upon neighboring property owners' development rights. However, this interpretation misrepresents the meaning of potential source. Based on the guidelines outlined in DWR Bulletin 7490, which the appellants cite in their appeal, the term potential source precisely pertains to the existing sources, to existing sources that could potentially contaminate a well and is completely unrelated to any future development plans of neighboring properties. It's also important to note that our legally permitted wells predate the appellant's septic system, and that there is, in fact, 
ample room on the appellant's property to accommodate a five-bedroom septic without encroaching on our wells. Mr. Callow received a letter from Mr. Nemec on October 30th, 2009, with a detailed list of questions concerning the well's legality and locations. Mr. Callow consulted with county council and replied to Mr. Nemec's letter on November 12th, 2009, where he clearly answered each of Mr. Nemec's concerns regarding the legality and location of the wells. He even outlined the exact setback requirements for a future septic. A copy of this exchange can be found in the CDA's draft resolution. Next slide. I hope this has provided a deeper knowledge of the history of the property and an understanding of our mission so we can all visualize how the Lazy Gate family farm will be an asset to our community. This concludes my presentation of the factual reasons why our project is both legal and a benefit to the community. However, throughout this appeal, and more specifically in the documents referred to as attachments two through nine, the appellants make several specific written accusations about my character and behavior. These malicious allegations are inaccurate and have caused significant and irreparable harm to both my family and myself. Not only has my reputation been affected within my small community and my business, but it has also resulted in emotional trauma. For instance, I've been falsely accused of decimating a wetland, of owning and shooting a gun in public, of hosting large parties on my property, and for allowing someone to live on the land, all of which are untrue. I addressed these false claims during the Planning Commission hearing and sub subsequently discussed them with the appellant's attorney on multiple occasions, yet they chose to include the same written defamatory statements again within this appeal. If these or any other inaccurate accusations in any way influence your decisions, I would like to state for the record that I can disprove them. In spite of all that we've been through, we do still believe, though, that with a little bit of goodwill and better communication, we can overcome these challenges and move towards a more harmonious future as good, respectful neighbors. I'd like to express my sincere, my sincere gratitude to the members of my community who wrote letters on our behalf, and particularly to those who took the time to come to these hearings and support us in person, especially considering the threats and accusations that have been circulating in Bellinas. Words cannot express how much your friendship means to Julie and me. I would also like to thank Aaron Yatal, our project planner, who has been patient, professional, and meticulous throughout this entire process. And finally, thank you to the Board of Supervisors for your time and attention today, and I would be happy to answer any questions you might have. Thank you very much. Um, Okay, now, this? Yeah, I have a few questions for staff, please. Um, Jeremy and Aaron, just confirmed the wells are not part of this application. I think that's a place to start. Confirmed. And then, as far as we can tell, these wells were approved in 2006 and permitted at that time? Correct. Can you distinguish between agricultural well and domestic well for me in, in this case? Yeah, sure. Um, there's been a lot of talk about the history, but I, and I don't want to belabor the point too much, but I do think it's worthwhile pointing out that uh, in 2006, 
The coastal zoning code at that time made a distinction between the requirements for an agricultural well and the requirements for a residential well. If you were putting in a residential well at that time, you were required to get a coastal permit. Whereas with an agricultural well, you were not required to get a coastal permit. That's why during one of the um, testimonies today, um, they said that there was a, pr a prior application before your board which included the wells. It's worth noting that those were not for the construction of the wells. That coastal permit was for the conversion of the wells from agriculture to residential because the proposal was to build a residence. Okay, so that's, that's what that coastal permit was about. I think it's also worth noting that since that time, there is a new coastal zoning code now in effect. And under that new coastal zoning code, regardless of whether it is an agricultural well or a residential well, a coastal permit would now be required. Okay, thank you, Jeremy. And then related to the zoning of this property and all the Bolinas Mesa, could you talk about the zoning and whether this is an allowed use under that zone? Yeah, sure. I mean, the, the zoning for the Mesa is interesting. It's basically a mixed-use zoning uh, where you have both residential and agricultural as a principally permitted use. Uh, that's why you see this sort of patchwork of residences and agricultural uses up there. Um, uh, of course, there's always challenges with water. Um, in this case, uh, although there's no water meter, there are wells that will, that will perform the same function, and therefore this should be a viable agricultural operation. Great. Thank you. That's all my questions for now. Can I just ask one follow-up on that? So the, the previously, in 2006, they didn't have to get a coastal permit, but, but the prior owner applied for one. What happened there? No. No, the prior owner did not apply for one until he was proposing a residence, which was several years later. At that time of the residence, then he wanted to convert the wells from ag to residential. That was denied? And that was, along with the house, that was the whole project was denied. Okay. Um, uh, Jeremy, I had a question. Uh, there was a discussion of losing the ability to, ability to have a fifth bedroom on the property, uh, the appellants, because of uh, limitations to their septic system. Uh, do, can you confirm or deny that? at all, whether that's the case? I can't. I mean, we, we do have Gwen. Uh, I'm not a septic test. We do have Gwen here. Um, but even then, you know, unless we've actually seen a study demonstrating that uh, the septic system could be expanded, I'm not sure we could really give you a, a firm answer on that. Okay. Can you tell me which way the water gradient goes <laughs> on, on this area? Aaron, do you know? Okay. Sorry, I'm not sure. Fair enough. Uh, all right. I don't have any other questions either. So, yes, thank you, Dennis. We'll take public comment on this. Is there anyone from the public, either here in the chambers or online, who wishes to make comments? If so, come on up. Uh, give your name. You've got two minutes. And, uh, Okay, I'll try and do it in just one. Uh, I see you've listened to a lot of people already. Uh, my name is Ben Colazzo. I'm a Bolinas resident, uh, six-year uh, friend of Mr. Alexander. Uh, I want to speak just first to his character. He, he was really enthusiastic, get his young children to learn about agriculture and all that. 
He's been an upstanding citizen in Molinas. I wanted to say that. Also wanted to say that I am a psychologist. I have uh, been consulting with both Mr. Alexander and his girlfriend Julie about the amount of stress they've taken on from truly false allegations against him. Mr. Alexander listed some of them, so I won't mention them again. But a lot of charges were made from people who clearly have their own personal agenda for their property, but he's followed the rules. And so I just really want to apologize to you all uh, for the fact that in Bolinas we have bad actors who make false accusations and waste your time. Thank you. Are there others? If you could please come on up, and if there's more, just feel free to line up so we know that you're waiting. Um, or afternoon, I guess. I'm David Alexander's life partner, Julie, um, and I'm here in support of him and his project. Sorry. <clears throat> I found myself trying to figure out what to say again as we are brought to another appeal. Um, I realize all I want to say is that um, I love this man and his vision of his him wanting to create a place for his family to grow. Um, grow food, grow knowledge, and grow compassion as we navigate these hearings. I'm sorry, I was very moved by Ben's talk. <laughs> um, as I mentioned previously in other hearings, I have known Toby Nemec for many years, decades actually, and as this project has been previously approved multiple times now, with the wells not only deemed legal and stated at each hearing that they are not in question, but also it has been stated by the county that um, he can move forward with a septic project because his property is large enough to accommodate his needs. I find myself asking why he is so adamant about trying to stop our project and even control something on a property he could have purchased himself and done anything with he wanted to. Um, it seems like he doesn't want anything to exist on this property and objections are based on refusing Dave and his brother the right to use their property within legal use as it is zoned and already approved by previous hearings. I do worry though that even in building and growing within the means of our permit, they will continue to harass us and other neighbors, but I hope they can begin to revel in having old, old and new friends um, as neighbors and grow together from this point forward, making our neighborhood shine and not be such a cringe. I appreciate you taking the time to hear us and ask you to support and approve the project. Thank you. Um, thank you. Thank you. I'm sorry. Uh, my friend Christina had to leave because of childcare, but she left a note. Should I read it? Or okay. Yeah. Give it to someone else. Yes. Give it to someone else. Yes. Would you just give it to someone else to read? I haven't spoken. Someone who hasn't spoken. That's okay, we'll give you points for spontaneity. Christina Amoroso, I'm excited about a garden at the Grove Elm property that would increase local grown fruits and veggies in Bolinas. Julie with her extensive history of volunteerism and community events, and Dave with his dedication to documentary films showing some of the disparities in this world are the perfect people to manage this project that will benefit the Bolinas community. As a nurse, at UCSF, I am very impressed that Julie, on top of being a dietitian with the VA, has the energy to continue to our community in this way, to contribute to our community in this way. I am grateful that Dave w wants to take the time to bring this 
project to our community. I came here to support Julie and David's project, but I want to say I'm sorry the previous owner's actions negatively impacted uh, Toby and Christina. Thank you. All right, is there anyone else? Yes. I'm um, Christina Chinnemick. I'm um, the co-owner of the property being affected across the street. Um, there's a, the wells um, must meet current standards and be analyzed on their own merits as an integral component of this new project. The three wells do place developmental constraints on all the neighboring properties. And the fact that the wells were constructed in 2006 does not eliminate the presence of those constraints nor does it matter if it's domestic or agricultural use. Those restraints are existing no matter what. Um, so why are we here? We're here because there were several mistakes made in the past in 2006. There were wells drilled and permitted without passing the guidelines of the state law or the Marin County law. It was found at a board meeting back in 2008 that the wells infringed on the neighbor's properties, multiple neighbor's properties. Um, when we were alerted to the problem, I felt the county should have nipped it in the butt and said, oops, these wells were supposed to be abandoned. Sorry, this was our mistake. But now we've, we've been forced by the county to resolve this um, ourselves between us neighbors when in fact it's the county's job to uphold the laws, rules, and regulations. In fact, we are here all because of David Alexander's actions. When he was contacted by the county to remove his unpermitted and illegal development, trailers, RVs, porta-potties, porta-potty, water tanks, it became, it's because he had all those things on his land. The county didn't make that up, even though he wants to paint a different picture of this. Um, David began to aggressively stalk our home. He threatened my husband and our family, along with another neighbor, Lee here, who also um, threatened us. His exact words were, I'm going to get you back. He attacked our livelihood by reporting our business to the state contractor's board and to the Marin County Board, our agency here. He went around town and garnered support by lying and telling people that he had, you wrap a up, please? he had a letter with our names on it, which he didn't. He also just lied here in court, or the board, in front of the board here, saying he wrote us an email, which we never received. We've never received any paper or letter or negotiations from him. Um, I wanted to point out that um, Scott Callow signed this paper back in 2006. And on number six and number seven, it says, the following conditions shall be observed with the well. It's to maintain the required 100 foot, foot setback to all existing and future sewage disposal systems and animal enclosures. So it was here back in 2006 on the County of Marin Development Agency forms. It was not, he was not, even honoring what was on the form that he signed. So thank you for, for your consideration. Thank you. Okay, is there anyone else in the chambers? Well, please come to the podium, give your name. You have two minutes, and then we'll go online. My name is Tom Alexander, I'm David's brother. Um, and we right here have a copy of all the email interactions between us and the Nemex, or between my brother and the Nemex, very clearly spelled out. and responded to and um, if you guys would like to read them. Thank you for your time. 
like to come up? Hi, uh, my name is Steve Marcotte. I am the neighbor of both the Nemics and the property in question. Um, first, I want to say I wish we weren't here. Um, I've known both of Dave and his family and the Nemics uh, for years. In fact, I grew up with Toby. Um, we've been neighbors forever. We were both children growing up in Bolinas. Um, I totally support this farm because this property has been um, just a mess for forever, essentially forever. Um, it has been a dump. Uh, it's been a motorcycle track, has been stated. Um, it is being on the fire department. I know I have a very, very acute awareness of how much of a fire hazard it's been. Um, and Dave and his family have done a wonderful job creating a, a green space that's we could be proud of. And the thought of them turning it into a community uh, space is just fantastic. So I totally support that. Um, Dave has been more than accommodating to every question that has been put to him and any type of suggestion of how can we come to an, uh, an agreement or how they can come to an agreement. Um, and I've watched him always say, yes, we can you know, maybe change the height of the barn and change the gate and how we access it and limiting the hours. And it still doesn't stop. We're still here at another appeal. So I'm just I'm saddened by that. Um, I can't speak to the wells, um, but I know they've been there forever. But that's you know that's a legal issue, so I won't even speak to that. But in essence, I was thinking about this today. Toby's argument is that they are being denied the full use of their property. Well, in essence, that's what the Nemics are asking for. They are asking for Dave and his family to be denied the full use of their property. So. I hope we can come to an agreement. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, last call. Anyone in the chambers? All right, let's go online, see if there's any speakers online. The first speaker is Sharon Alexander. Please unmute. Um, I'm, I'm actually, I'm George Alexander. The, um, the, um, um, the Zoom is in my wife's, in my wife's name. I just want to say a couple of, a couple of things on uh, on behalf of um, of David. Um, number one, I support the project, um, and I think the good that it does not only to the family but also the benefits to the benefits uh, to the community. Secondly, I totally support the exemplary character of my son David, and I would also like to attest to the negative impact of the untrue accusations that have been uh, that have been levied against him and um, to that point i hope the board continues to um, to support the project and uh, <coughs> and the use of the property thank you president peters there are no additional speakers in the queue okay thank you are there any last comments on the part of aaron or jeremy anything you'd like to add then we'll go to deliberation uh, no, unless not unless you have any questions. Not seeing any, we'll close the public hearing and bring it back for deliberation. Uh, Supervisor Adoni. <clears throat> yeah, thank thank you all for being here today, and you know I think the right of appealing things is, is a given right, and I appreciate the attempt to appeal this. Um, I just don't think it's the strongest issue to be bringing before us, especially since this has been tested before and was permitted in 2006, uh, the well issue in particular. Um, 
I think this is allowed use on this zoning. I think staff and the planning commission did a good, good, good job adjusting it to make sure that interests in the community were protected, and, and that's really what you were addressing because there's been a lot of issues on lots on the Mesa related to camping and habitation and things that we have had a hard time dealing with. So I really appreciate the fact that you were sensitive to that. That's what the community's asked for. But I can't find any grounds here for, for um, acknowledging the appellant, um, and I would recommend that we um, actually conduct, we conducted the public hearing and we adopt the resolution denying the appeal and uphold the approval of David Alexander's separate trust ET at all coastal permit and design review. So thank you all for being here today. And I'll move that. Thank you. Other comments? Supervisor Wright? Yeah, I'd be happy to second that motion and uh, thanks folks for being here and I agree with everything that Supervisor Bodoni just stated and, and then I would just add that I hope uh, going forward you all are able to look forward and stop looking backwards and um, reform uh, relationships as neighbors and as commun fellow community members. Okay, we have a motion and a second. Any other comments? All right, there is a motion to deny the appeal uh, and a second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Okay, that motion carries unanimously. Thank you. Thank you. And with that, uh, we are now adjourned. <laughs>